I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not back with you from the Brooklyn Bunker I am not your host PTF PTF uh, is, uh, he's been behaving been very, he's been behaving. Apparently, he's giving out lots of winners on uh, the Sky Sports uh, broadcast that he's doing. Yeah, he still can't warm me up. He knows that. I think I beat him in a head-to-head this weekend. Actually, I don't even remember what the head-to-head was, but I'm sure if we had one, I beat him. But I guess I probably should figure that out before I start bragging. Um, look, I, I'm going to make this intro quick because this is a long episode. It's like two hours and 40 minutes of, of, of conversation. So I want to, uh, to get in and out with this intro. I'm just going to remind everyone, uh, like we do every week, uh, subscribe, uh, in the money media on, on Apple podcasts, like 98% of the people that listen to this, listen to it on Apple podcasts. So go to your iPhone, go to the little purple thing, search for in the money media, and subscribe and get notifications. That way, when a show comes up, you get you get the message. Uh, you get a notification that it comes up. Um, I love the interaction, man. Thanks so much. And I, I know it might not seem like a lot, but when you guys send me messages about how much you like the episode, it uh, it's uh, it makes me feel good about it. it. Makes me feel good about doing it. It makes me excited to do it every week. It makes me. I spend all weekend and all week thinking who I'm going to have. I have no clue who I'm going to have next week. And the pressure of everyone liking the shows makes it even more like, ah, oh, what the hell am I going to do? So I appreciate that. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Keep the comments coming. Um, what else? Is there anything else? No. Let, let's just go. This guy is a guy that I, I start this conversation off talking about how he came into my life and how I came to know him and how important he was in in racing for me. And uh, he's a person I love picking his brain. Um, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the condition book and, and how races are written and when they're written and why they're written, I think is one of the, the, the most powerful things that a horse player and a handicapper can have is understanding that. And, uh, this person understands it well. He did it for a very long time. Good friend of mine, an innovator. He's got some great ideas and someone that we definitely need to keep in the game in whichever possible ways that we can. It's my friend, Rick Hammerly. And I affectionately like to refer to him as hammer time. Hammer, what's going on? Everything's great out here in the the, the West Coast here. Sunshiny day. It's, uh, it sounds like the AirPods kicked in now. We might be in business. Okay, good. All <laughs> right, well, let me walk away. Let me see. I thought I just heard. How about now? Yeah, you're in business. Yeah, uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as you, whatever you clicked, I heard a little something going on in the ear. And so, okay, great. So that, that makes it a little freer. Anyway. Yeah, the, so. There you go. The power of now technology. I, now, now I will pay. well i i wanted to uh you know obviously i want to thank you for joining us and you know we're looking forward to being able to 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 pepper you with questions about uh one of the things i think is the most interesting about this game is is when and why and how races are run and distances and the conditions and the condition book is is to me one of the most valuable things to the horse player but uh i think i want to start first with just having a bunch of fun talking about stories and your career and your involvement in racing and and some of the uh, exploits you've got yourself into. But real quick, I wanted to tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but um, when I first got involved in the game, my, my first way to kind of get introduced to the characters of the game was listening to Steve Bick. And uh, so obviously I would listen to Bick all the time. And and uh, every Friday, Rick Hammerly would come on. He would talk about Santa Anita, which was like my favorite 
you know, the, the circuit that I had kind of gravitated towards the most. And so just listening to you talk and having, having the people in your office and having them on speakerphone and all this stuff. And I, I remember you had said that if people were to reach out to you, that you would send a calendar. And, and so I, uh, I sent a message to you and I'll never forget. It's, it's, it's actually very, it's very humbling to be honest, like how excited I was that day I got that calendar in the mail. And so I wanted to thank you for that. Cause that, that was, uh, that was really cool for me to kind of feel like I was, I was, uh, I was in the mix a little bit with, with racing. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, um, I can relate and, and I'll tell you how I can relate is because, you know, I used to be on the other side and I'm gonna, when I say the other side, I was a fan. I mean, I am a fan. I don't want to ever forget that. And, and anytime ever, anybody ever does a story about me or asks me questions, I, I make that point. And so I, I understand that. And so when I got, you know, when I got able to be able to do something and relate with the fans, I get it. I understand what the small things are and, you know, like a calendar. I mean, look, opening day at Santa Anita, uh, faithfully, or whatever you want to say it, is my birthday. I was born the day after Christmas. So um, we would go to the track and my mom would, you know, go, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I'm going to the track and it was like, oh, but I had to go to the Santa Anita to get that calendar. And, you know, I, I think I have, 30 or 40 of them here from that day. So I knew what a cool giveaway that was. I mean, it's just, it's a great time at the beginning of the meet to give away something like that. And so um, I'm going to say 10 years ago, something like that uh, kind of came up with the plan that uh, through Steve's show, let's give calendars away to anybody that wants it. And uh, we, so we, we kind of started that and uh, first year, I think we gave away a couple hundred and I say, we as, as myself and my, my, my wife and daughter would help, but we would, uh, literally address all the envelopes, you know, copy down all the addresses, write them all out, stuff the envelopes and, and send them on their way. I think we did a couple hundred. And then as it got a little bit more popular, we, uh, got a little creative with it and had people send in, uh, you know, pictures of their favorite vacation spot or one year we had them send in pictures of their sleeping pet, you know, try to get them to do something to earn their, their uh, calendar. And I think uh, by the time I had left there in eight, 2018, I think we we're up to eight, 900 given away. So that's a, that's a lot of writing, but you know what? It's great. You know, people have that hanging in their, in their uh, office or their, or their workplace or whatever. So I relate to that. And, and, and that's what, that's what this is supposed to be about, um, you know, giving back to the fans, giving back to the owners, giving back to everybody involved in the game. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned Steve's show. And I think about I've been doing that show for 17 years, even before Steve, uh, Steve Vick came on. And uh, John Parada, who is a very good friend and, and from the Jersey days, he called me up one time, you know, 17 years ago. He goes, hey. Uh, satellite radio is becoming, becoming a bigger deal. And I got, I got 15 hours of time, three hours a day, five days a week. And I want to do some racing stuff. And he had a guy named uh, JJ Gracie, who was an ex-trainer who was down in Florida and, and had the gifty gab. And he was the first host on this thing. And I said, well, what do you need from me? And he said, well, we need some filler and I need you to be filler. So in other words, you had to fill up the times or keep the time. So I'd never done anything like that before. He's like, you know, I don't care if you read a phone book. We just need to get, you know, I got to get people on there that can fill the time. And 
uh, you know, very nervous about what to talk about and a little bit kind of, you know, flippant at the beginning. I think, hey, yeah, we're doing some, you know, goofball radio show. And I got a little bit more into it. And I remember trying to get guests and it's like, what show are you talking about? Said, Don't worry about it. It's called Come and See Me. Come and sit in my office with me and we'll talk, we'll talk racing. And it was called At the Races and Beyond uh, for two, three, four years. And it just started getting kicked in. And I remember... I remember John calling me up and he goes, Hey, I'm going to give you this guy, give you this uh, phone number of this guy. I want you to call him up. I said, what do you mean? He says, just talk to him. I want you to tell me what you think about him. So it happened to be Steve and I called up Steve and Hey, John gave me the number and yeah, blah, blah, blah. We talked for 10, 15 minutes about this or that. I said, uh, I called John back and I said, yeah, I called him. Sounds fine to me. What's the deal? He goes, I think he's going to be our new host. They said, Oh, really? And so, uh, Steve came on, and uh, I continued uh, in my in my Friday slot there. And and at the beginning, it was it was fourteen and fourteen hours or fourteen and a half hours of all East Coast stuff. And then they got me for the last hour, hour and a you know half hour, whatever it was, and for California. So they're telling me like you know, a lot of people are listening we you know whatever whatever used whatever they use to tell on satellite radio goes and i'm thinking well you know they're getting tired of the same people picking the same races over and over and over and finally they get me and at that time i think the show was in the afternoon and we were at del mar and in the afternoon that's when we race and my deal was like you said i did it from my office phones ringing everything going on and off and people would walk by and I would just grab them and say, hey, come on. Hey, who's that? Dan Hendricks, sit down. You're going to be anywhere on the radio right now. What do you think about that horse you like tomorrow? Anything like that. And it really flowed. And I really got into it. And it, it developed from there. And we had switched times, morning, noon, uh, you know, whenever it was. And then now it's, it's ended up in the morning. But, um, you know, it gave me a it gave me a, an out. I mean, I had a, he gave me 15, 20 minutes, half hour, however long, every week to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about and for the first for the first few years I gotta admit I thought oh yeah it's just kind of hey this is kind of cool and then in 2007 I still remember this in 2007 which was what 13 years 15 some years ago so three or four years into it I was still kind of just kind of goofing around with it um there was this horse that was training out here and his name was Golden Balls <laughs> and he can't make this stuff up so um, making this, we're talking about golden balls. Hey, did you see golden balls work this weekend? And, and, uh, he was trained by Jim Cassidy. And so lo and behold, who's in the entries one, one week is golden balls. And I think we had, uh, we had Jim on and we were talking about it and, and, uh, he debuted a stake. I'll never forget it was a lot when stake and it was a small field, but uh, here's golden balls. And of course, you know, on Fridays, you know, you got to get selections. And here, here I am, a racing secretary. I'm not supposed to be giving out selections. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of not really giving out selections. I'm, I'm talking about horses that look like they had a good chance to win officially. But, I, you know, in the whole scheme of things, nobody really cared because, um, you know, who's going to listen anyway? So, lo and behold, I'm like, golden balls. is you can't lose. Got to bet golden balls. You know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Let's go. Well, here's the race comes up. And he goes off at seven to one. And I'm telling you, it's a five, six horse field. And he's running against Desert Code. I remember that. And uh, it was a mile race. And the race goes off, middle of the day. And Turner for home, Desert Code's drawn off. I mean, he's up by three or four at the eighth pole. And 
Golden Balls look like he's making a little bit of a run, but there is no way he's getting there. It's just impossible. And then he gets a little closer and a little closer. And I remember like the old days, I was down on the apron and I would start running along, you know, with the horse type of thing. And here comes Golden Balls. Well, guess what? Golden Balls laid a nose on him and he won and paid, you know, $16, $17, whatever it was. And I started getting a couple of phones before texting. I started getting a couple of calls and a couple of people saw me in the grandstand and said, Oh, gold balls. Like, here's, I bet 50 bucks on them. This, that. I got emails and all. It just hit me. I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, people actually listen to this stuff. I mean, it, it hit me and it got me like real serious. Like, Oh my gosh, I better, I got to be more serious about, uh, about what I'm talking about. And it was really a wake up moment uh, for me. And, you know, ever since then, I, I mean, I've learned to myself and not that I tried to, you know, BS anybody, but you know what, I'm not, I'm to anything that I say is going to be, you know, real stuff. And, uh, it was a wake up moment. I never, I mean, just never forget that horse golden balls. I mean, it's just, uh, it was maybe you can, you can ask Steve about that. He'll, he'll remember that too. I even think we got some calls on the show like the next week about people calling, Oh, golden balls, man. It was great. I bet him. So, um, that's anyway, a phenomenal way, name for a horse. Oh, you know, you just gravitate. I didn't even, I didn't know the horse from Adam. I was just, you know, we just grabbed onto it. And, you know, of course, you got to bet Golden Balls. And like I said, if you could find that replay, uh, Golden Balls winning the La Fuente. I, and like I said, I'm telling you, at the eighth pole, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you're at second, it's going to be, you know, I didn't embarrass myself. And then, I mean, I'm telling you, he had no shot. He didn't have a shot to win until he won type of thing. And uh, it was fantastic. So, um Ever since then, I've kind of tightened things up a little bit. But, um, you know, I really enjoy that 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 Friday, um, you know, Friday deal. It's like a second job to me. I mean, th- Thursday night uh, is study time for Steve's show. And when I say study time, you know, just like here, we don't really talk about, I don't, we don't rehearse. There's no rehearsal. Um, I, I try to guess what he's going to gonna ask. And I can spend two, three hours going over you know, PPs or stories. And then five minutes into it, we're talking about, you know, a book we, I read, uh, you know, two years ago and somebody I happened to see on, on, uh, you know, on, on the TV or something. So always ready. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, for me with Steve, he gives me a little bit of a, of a rain, I think. Uh, I mean, I can literally, I can talk about a book I read or a movie I saw or, you know, some place I, we do a lot of traveling and, and, uh, you know, places we went and, and tie it into horse racing eventually. But, you know, I think about it, um, I'm very, uh, you know, blessed to have that spot. And, and, you know, the last 16, 17 months after I, uh, left Santa Anita, um, it, it kept me in the game. I mean, it's like, you know what, if I'm going to go on on Fridays, I need to be sharp. I can't just go on there and say, yeah, Hey, yeah, you know, and just kind of flub around a little bit. It keeps you in the game. So, it, you know, Steve is just, uh, he's such a great host. He's so positive. And, I mean, the difference of, of way back when about saying, can you please come on the radio and talk horse racing for 10 minutes with me? Now it's, you know, you, I just, I would go fishing around Crocker's Corner every once in a while. And, uh, hey, you want to come on? Whether it was a jockey or a trainer or an owner or whoever it may be. And there was never a problem. They'd be in my office at age 15. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, just sit around and, and uh, you know, talk to Steve on the show. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a great outlet for me. I, I, it's almost sometimes when I'd be out somewhere and somebody would go, hey, you're Rick. And I'll say, yeah, I recognize your voice. 
that's really creepy. I'm, I'm sure you get that stuff too, but you know, it's like, wow, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of humbling, but it's like, wow, you, you know, people listen. So, you know what, you, you need, you need to, uh, you need to be serious about, uh, you know, what you say and, and, uh, but always try and give back a little bit. And, and, you know, when I went to Oakland this year, they, I, I went to them and said, Hey, you know, I got this little calendar gig going. Can you, uh, and they were gracious enough to say, yeah, how many you need? So I think we gave away, you know, four or 500 of the Oakland calendar. And, you know, it's just something to, to try and give back to, to the fans. And, and if it, if it uh, you know, helps somebody get into the game a little bit more and uh, we do that. And, you know, I used to, anybody in the area, give me a call. We'll, you know, we'll get you a table and stuff like that. And so people would call and say, you know, Bears, like, hey, can you, you can eat double seats. I heard you. I said, absolutely. Come on in, you know, so. You know, that comes from being a fan and, and growing up, going to Santa Anita, Hollywood Park and Del Mar around here. And so um, it's very easy for me to do. I get it. So you grew up in, in Southern California and obviously you spent a lot of time uh, in California with your career. And, and I think that, you know, we, we could start at the beginning, but I think it might be more interesting to work backwards. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the last job that, that you had, that, you know, the last racing, uh, you know, director job, secretary job that you had was at Santa Anita. And obviously that, you know, in 2018, it, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about exactly what was going on. Obviously, California got a little bit tricky and has been tricky for a while with just the management situations that have that have uh, arisen out out there. So, you know. Why why did you leave California after being there or leave Santa Anita after being there as long as you were there? Well, you know, it's a good, good I've had time to reflect and uh sometimes it's just time uh to go. Uh I was here I came here in 2000 after a stink uh back on the East Coast and we'll talk about that uh later but uh had a had a chance to come out um, and work. Actually, I was trying, I was talking to Martin Panza, who was uh, working at Hollywood Park, and Mike Harlow was working at Santa Anita. I was talking to both of them, both uh, prior, both uh, former classmates at the U of A, by the way. And uh, Lonnie Powell was running Santa Anita, who happened to be uh, one of my teachers at the U of A. It's amazing how this stuff goes around. But, uh, I got a phone call back from Mike Carlo and he said, Hey, uh, I think we can use get Santa Anita year round. And I'm thinking, uh, okay. And I remember we, my wife and I, we were traveling, I'm going to say upstate New York somewhere. And I remember it was a payphone, And I remember literally holding my hand over the thing. Gina, uh, we got a shot to go back to California. You want to go? And she said, let's do it. And I said, okay, that's let's go. And uh, at, I think it was March, it was about March. I started in June, we sold our condo, packed up. Uh, our daughter, Lindsay, was about a year and a half at that time, put her in the car and uh, came, came here, moved in with my folks and uh, started here in 2000. And, you know, uh, you know kind of like, uh, welcome to the big time, kid. And uh, started it here, uh, worked with Mike, uh, and, um, you know, it was all ears, uh, which you have to be in this game if you want to, you know, you want to move up and kind of figure out what's going on. You, you can pretend to know stuff, but when it comes right down to it, if you don't know it, you better learn it. So I was all ears coming here, uh, learning the people, learning the, you know, learning the ropes a little bit. 
And uh, lo and behold, so right in 2003, Jack Liebau was uh, in charge at the time. And he said, all right, we're going to split this up. Rick, you're the racing secretary. Now, Mike, you're to be the director of racing. So um, all of a sudden, it's like, okay. And that's like, you know, literally being thrown to the, into the fire. And there's no other way to learn that job. I mean, you can be an assistant a million times, which I was here and there, did a lot of other jobs in the office. But until you are sitting behind uh, that desk writing the condition book and, uh, you know, the buck stops here, until you're put in that position, you're never in that position. So um, it's trial by fire and, and you, you do stuff and you figure out. <laughs> When somebody comes in there and calls you an idiot and don't you know what you're doing and how could you put this race here and uh, you gotta go ah ha ha ba 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 and uh, <laughs> you gotta be you gotta have a little thick skin and put up with it and figure out uh, who's BSing you and who's when they calling you an idiot who who really means it and you did something stupid and so you learn from it and um, so you just you got it out and you figure out that. Uh, you know, you have to, like I said, you have to have a tough skin and you have to have a plan and uh, you learn as you go. And, uh, you know, it's a tough place to learn with, with uh, you know, we think about it. We got, you know, six, seven Hall of Fame trainers and seven, there were six, seven, eight, nine Hall of Fame writers here. And, you know, the press and the crowds and the history and all that stuff kind of gets to you. Uh, but you got to shove it aside, have a plan and stick with it and go. And, you know, we moved along uh, good. I kind of took me a while to, to grasp it. And, uh, and uh, it's a, you know, a different place here. Uh, I worked here, like I said, 19 years. I'm going to say through those 19 years, I had 10, 12 bosses. Uh, kind of, you know, it's kind of like the football coach situation. I mean, literally every time I would get a new boss, I would come home and, and tell my, you know, wife, Gina, I'd say, well, new boss might get fired today. Half kind of half kidding, but half not kidding. And, uh, you know, we, we made it through through a lot of them. But, um, you know, it was, there was some times there in the, in, the, in, the, in the 2000s, shall we say, that, you know, we were really rolling here and we could have made a lot of good changes. Um, you know, time, changes are made. Time, the time to make a change is when, when you're in charge of the change, not when you have to make a change. It's better to make it, you know, think ahead and let's, let's do this now, not because we're forced to do it, but because it's a good time to do it and we're in control of the change. And, you know, there was some lazy management. What can I, what can I say? I mean, uh, we had some people here that, whose job was to keep their job. And uh, um, I think racing in general, I think a lot of jobs, I think just in general out there in, 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 any, in any business or any situation, a lot of people in charge, their main job is to keep their job. And when that's their main job, they're not out there looking to be innovative. They're not out there looking to take chances or try different things or, or you know, do different things. Hey, if I can increase a hot dog from $2 to 250 oh man, we made money in food and beverage. I mean, it's an easy way out, you know, rather than saying, hey, let's try a chili dog, you know, let's do something different. Um, they're just not as apt to do that. And, and we went through years here of, you know, we get another guy in and we turn the hourglass over and you know, he'll last year about a year, year and a half. And, you know, sure enough, there'd be another guy coming in. And so, um, you know, I made up my mind that, you know, it didn't matter who was in charge. I had a job to do. I had to get an overnight out. It doesn't matter who's up there, you know, 
setting the price for hot dogs or box seats or you know trying to uh, you know get some people in the door ah uh, when you when you do a, what we do um it doesn't matter uh come hell or high water you need to get out an overnight sheet and uh which is the the sheet that we put out every day that we take entries for the upcoming races so um i always say i always hold up the sheet and when i'm done it's like you, you can't bs what it is you can't say there's 10 horses a race when there's eight horses a race because it's right here you can say there's 10,000 people here when there's only five, nobody cares. But you, right? That's always my thing. Like, I can't, I, I can't lie and say, look, there's 10 in there. No, there's not, there's six. Here they are. But you well, can say, the, oh. What was the latest you ever got an overnight out? Oh, I mean, at Santa Anita? Oh, you know what? The earlier years, it wasn't bad. Uh, meaning, you know, we were done by 10, 12 o'clock. We would draw usually by noon and all the people could you know, we draw the races and, you know, have a little break and then go to their, their afternoon positions. Late, later, there were days we were there till you know, three, four, five o'clock. Now, remember, um, not that long ago, uh, we, entries were taken 70 or 48 hours in advance. I wasn't around when they were taken the day before, but uh, usually two days before. And you could get into, depending on what days of the week you were at, you could get into a, a racing form situation where, it was two o'clock here, but it's five o'clock back there. And if they don't get the entries by five fifteen, they're not getting in the form the next day, type of thing. So, being on the west coast here, you had some time time you know constraints, so that you had to get stuff done. So, um, you know, you could, probably could have stayed longer, but you had to get done by a certain day. Now on the east coast, we'll talk about some of the mama days. We were there, you know, until three, four, five o'clock. I can't remember. I I can't remember coming back the next day until maybe a couple of years before I left when it started getting a little thin or you know we had some problems with the track or you know rainy days stuff like that but uh, no you grind it out and uh, you know just like any job anywhere if you if you don't have good people working with you uh, and you know a good crew doing the right thing um, you're not going to get done but. Uh, you know, you, you have to have faith in what you do, and uh, we'll get a little bit more involved in, in what the racing secretary job does later. But we did that for a while, and, uh, you know, had some good years. I, uh, you know, proud to say I've done seven Breeders' Cups. I've been around. I did, when I say done, seven Breeders' was the racing secretary at the track for seven Breeders' Cups. Now, it's nothing I did for that. We just happened to be the host for seven years. But there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. A lot of races. There's a lot of before there was that many stakes uh you know it was one of the days is that when we when they first went into fridays they might have two or three stakes so you had to make seven races and they better have 10 or 11 horses in every one of them so we 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 did a great job getting that done so i'm very proud of the fact of having having been involved in seven breeders cups which is more than anyone um you know really enjoyed you know with that going through that and as we moved along further, um, you know, uh, part of the job is dealing with horsemen's groups and, and trainers and, and uh, owners' groups. And, and, you know, a lot of times you butt heads uh, on that. We can get into more of that a little bit later when we get into well, the job. Well, while we're there, who, who was more difficult to deal with? Was it owners and trainers or was it management? Like, who did you find oh. A, oh. like got in your in your way more? it feels like both of them are probably pretty annoying in your position uh well management you no know, management they kind of uh, 
they kind of leave you alone. You find that out in most race, unless the unless the the GM or the upper management is an ex racing person. Uh, you're not going to get much down the hall from them because they really don't even know what you do. So they just kind of you know leave you alone for that. So they're they're you know it's not too bad with that. But you have owners groups, trainers groups. You've got breeders. You've got uh, you know media. You got to deal with the track man. But, but you know, without a doubt, that the, the California is unique in that they have most most tracks have an HBPA, a horseman's uh, a horseman's group that has it's you know comprised of owners, trainers, breeders, and it's one group. California, they split off a couple years before I did, and there's a group here called the TOC, the Thoroughbred Owners of California. Um, and for some reason, you know, not some reason, they just were wanting to get too too deep into what you know we did in the racing office, and uh, um, you know they were allowed to do that. And uh, you know it's like, hey, you do your stuff, leave me alone. And I, you know, I found, you know, I I I always tried to. I never I never thought of this naively when I came into the game. I didn't know there were sides. I thought everybody was like on the same page let's whatever we can do to make it better let's do it why do we have why is there infighting and i always got well you're on that side it's like are we all the same side and a lot of uh through the years a lot of self you know let's what's good for me is good for me and and uh you know a lot of things were decided on how the how the owner's board was made up if it was made up of guys or girls and ladies that had steak horses well then you better let's fix the stake program and put more money there. If it was the other way around, it didn't have stakes. Well, let's, let's raise the claim. And so it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, uh, you know, go along, get along. Let's just do the right thing, which, you know, that's what I always try to do. Let's just do the right thing. You know, that's, that's what side I'm on the right thing. I whether it's, you know, at, at, for one day it might be good for you, but the next day it's going to be good for you. Um, so they were a tough group to get along with, I uh, will say, at, at certain times. So uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And your your time at Santa Anita, you know, uh, I think this is kind of I kind of it's like a two part question. But like, what was kind of your favorite, like your race, your favorite race to write? You just kind of got excited about writing it, and and was there a certain configuration? You probably know what I'm hinting at that you uh, you enjoyed more than any others. Uh, yes, the down the hill races were great. I mean. Um, you know, they're not there anymore. It's, it's, I mean, there, there's just nothing like going out and, and watching those races start. Where do they start? And it's, it was the coolest thing to walk out. And, you know, it didn't matter what was going on when there was a race down the hill. It was, you just walked out of the office and walked up, you know, the few steps upstairs to sit on the, stand on the apron and watch it. And it was, it was nothing cooler than some fan going looking at their program going where's this and you walk over to them you know the race starts up see that hill right there starts way up there really oh that's really cool and obviously come down the you know come down the mountain make the turn across the dirt and it's such i mean unique you talk about unique there's nothing like it it just brought together it brought together you could you you could bring you know my horses that were winning a mile and eighth would dip down horses that uh you know could sprint going to go you know three quarters they would they would uh they would jump in those races so that was great um the, the, the biggest charge for me and i'm probably for any racing secretaries the big days um and you know it, it, it it's all about you know planning for those big days every meet's different every track's different uh you know we had a long tight meet so you have to have a, a long plan so 
you know, maybe the week before the big day is going to be a little light, but you're sacrificing that for, for that big day. So there's nothing like that. I learned about big days at Monmouth Park. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, that, there was nothing more, uh, you know, fulfilling than, than uh, you know, making those big races on the big days and, you know, having, having things work for you. I mean, you, you, you're trying to, you're trying to quietly have people run horses in places they don't even know why they're there, but they end up there uh, without them even thinking about it. And so it's a little bit of an art form to whenever those things work out and, you know, and a plan works out uh, the way it's supposed to. And uh, so anyway, we, we moved along and, uh, and, and ironically, so I've been there a long time and, and uh, you know, like I said, bosses come and bosses go, you know, but, and uh, like I said, I, I, some people gravitate, towards the uh oh here's a new guy let's go how can i you know how can i kiss his ass you know shall we say a lot of people do that and and, and you know a lot of us we just had work to do we didn't really care who it was we had a job to do um you know how can we you know meld in and do the right thing and make you happy but you know i'm not going to go out of my way to change my my way of doing things um you know just to quote make you happy if i don't think it's the right thing so um anyway um what uh, a couple years to 16 or something it was we got uh, Timmy Rippo comes in and this is the whole ironic thing is uh, you know I went home and I said hey we got a new boss and she says who I said Timmy you're kidding me I said no I mean I've known known Tim for a long long time and of all the people that I had as a boss I'm type of like I'm like oh finally I'm going to be safe, right? It's been pretty funny. So, uh, and, you know, so, you know, Tim comes in and, you know, we're going to talk. We never will talk. We do this. We do that. And, you know, it, in, in the end, it was just a, uh, it was just a, a different philosophies, you know? And at that point, uh, you know, I, uh, I wasn't going to change. I thought, uh, you know, I, I didn't like the way they were going. And, you know, it's not vocal about it, but I just, you know, I just did, was, would say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. And, you know, in the end, uh, you know, I gave them my heart, but they wanted my soul and it wasn't going to happen. And uh, so I was let go. And, you know, I, 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 I don't take it personal. And, you know, I was there a long time. Like I said, sometimes it's just time to go. Uh, you've been somewhere too long or just, you know, and, you know, I wasn't that happy there the last couple of years. People could tell, like, kind of, um, you know, I like to have fun when I'm at work. Um, I don't want to say that, you know, flippantly, but um, if you ever come into my office, guess what? The radio's on. Um, you know, there's people in there. I might have a football game on. I mean, I, I have, I, I'm able to do a lot of things at once. And so I do a lot of things at once. I like noise. I like people. I like things going on and so uh the fun was going away and um you know it's, it's pretty wild i had on that day actually i just gotten back from i had to do uh, i was at a graded stakes meeting and before that uh i was at maryland the maryland million they wanted me to go back and check out uh, the maryland million so i went i did a maryland million trip and then i wheeled back through kentucky did a graded stakes thing and came back to Santa Anita. And uh, I had seen Tim that morning in the tunnel. And I usually go out and you know have breakfast at Clocker's Corner. I talked to him and you know, no big deal. I said, I'll see you later or something. And I got back in, it was a Friday. And I had just done Steve's show. 
And it was right, Michael Ronan got let go a couple of weeks before. And Steve asked me a question about, you know, Michael Rono, what do you think about that or something? And I said something to the effect of, you know, that sometimes things just happen. And uh, I think I left it go at that. Well, I'm telling you, I, I got the shows over at nine and, and my phone rings at like two minutes after nine. And it was the secretary and said, Tim needs to see in his office. And I go, hmm. I'm going, man, did I say something? Did I say something on the radio that was that wasn't right? I said, what I, you know, I start, you know, you start thinking back. What did I say when when he asked me about Rona? I'm thinking, I think I was pretty cool. I'm, you know, kind of thinking that to myself. So I said, yeah, all right, whatever. So I walked down there. I walked down the hall, and uh, uh, I'm thinking that door saw and he walked on down the hall. And I get there, and one of the guards, Ben, who I'm friendly with, I get there, and I'm, I get to the office, and. He's like milling around there. And I go, hmm, that's weird. And then when I looked at him and he couldn't look at me and he put his head down, I said, uh-oh. And like a fraction of a second before I went through the door, I knew I was done. Just like a millisecond. And I opened the door and there's, you know, the lawyer and the HR person and there's, you know, <laughs> and there's one chair left and that's for me. So I kind of knew what was going on. I'd never gotten fired before. It's pretty wild. So he went through the deal and, you know, I'm going to let you go. And and I remember, I, I, it's kind of a blur, but I remember saying, uh, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, kind of, you know, kind of, I'm laughing at it now, but it was, uh, I was all kind of in shock a little bit. And, you know, we got the deal and I said, okay, went down the hall and told, uh, told uh, you know, a few people and uh, packed up a few things and said, I'll, I had so much stuff in my office here, so I'll be back for the, back in a couple of days and, and pack up and, uh, and, uh, you know, got in the car and drove home. And I was trying to think, I was trying to think that the first person I called was my wife, obviously, and said, uh, she's your kid. And I said, no, I'm driving home right now. I'm, I'm out. And, you know, she said, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. And I think I called, might have called Jay Privman just to kind of give him the heads up. You know, you didn't hear it from me type of thing, but you can, you can roll with it because they were going to put out a press release or something I heard. So it was up to me to you know release it. So I gave it to Jay, and I think he texted. I think I called a couple trainers, and then I said, you know, I better call my daughter, who at that time I think she was a she's just finished a junior two years ago. She'd have been a uh, sophomore or freshman in college. Anyway, so I call drive I call her up. And I said, Lindsay, uh, you know, I just letting you know, so you don't hear it from, you know, wherever I, I no longer work at Santa Anita. So, you know, them being, I don't know where she was home or if she was on a deal. I could hear her like doing some, some of the background. So she'd obviously Googled something. And she said, dad, it says on the internet, you got fired. <laughs> I go, oh, great. I, I go, well, I said, there's a difference between getting fired. I said, fire means you did something wrong. I said, I, I, I no longer work there. That sounds a little bit better. But it was just funny how, you know, it, how they read different things. I mean, she knew instantly. And uh, so anyway, you know, I got over that. And uh, I got, you know, I, I, always, I always had it in my head. And, and that's why I always, uh, you know, did my job and work that, you know what? I'm not afraid of getting fired because I know something else will happen. And. Um, you know, cause that's the way I work. You know, I'm not afraid to do things, make a mistake. I'm not afraid if something happens, it happens and you roll on. I never, I never played scared. Um, and that's why I think I was around there for so long. So, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's the way it was. I, I, uh, like I said, 
I, everyone, I had, I had, I can't tell you how many um, reporter friends, media people call me and say, I'll print whatever you want to say, you know, expecting a whole thing. I said, no, I got nothing to say. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, give me a couple of days. I'll be fine. And, uh, you know, I was mentally fine with, you know, you, you hope, you hopefully when you, as you move along, you get a little older and you, you, you know, you want to you do the right thing as far as that. I mean, what good is it me for, you know, if I'm going to go out there and, you know, scream and yell and dad off and do all, whatever. Um, never had any intention of doing that. And I didn't do that. But, uh, you know, it took a while. You know, it's just an ego thing. It's like, you know, wow, I'm not good enough anymore type of thing. Uh, you start, you got, you got to go through feeling sorry for yourself for a little bit. But I had a lot of support from friends and, and uh, you know, people I'd known from all the years. I got a ton of calls. It was actually very uplifting. And I tell you, if one more person was going to tell me that everything's going to be fine, I was ready to, you know, run the car off the road. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, but. I knew that it was. You just have to get through that that first uh, three four weeks. There's a couple of things I remember around that time changing, and we, you and I have never had this conversation. I mean, I th- we've talked about a lot of other things. So I think we have a lot of uh, aligned thoughts, but um, and so this is kind of an indirect way of me asking you about these things. But um, there was two things that happened around that time that I wasn't crazy about happening. One was the pick six being changed to 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 twenty cents and the rainbow thing. And then also the uh, amount of – and the increase in cheap racing, especially the cheap turf racing. Out in California, what was your take on – what's your take on cheap racing? Is it, I mean, how necessary is it? Is it – is it, uh, was, it, was, was it easy to fill those races? Did you feel like it was low-hanging fruit? Um, how did you feel about the cheap racing and, and specifically the, the cheap turf racing? Well, you know, see, every – what you got to understand, and you don't know until you're inside this this world of ours, every meat is different. Every single meat is different, which means different things need to be done to get every individual meat to to its conclusion in a successful way. So what works what works in New Mexico not necessarily going to work in Arizona. What works in California is not necessarily going to work in New York. Some things may, but the whole big big scheme of things is different. So uh, the I, you know, you know, so in Cali- Southern California, uh, especially, we had gone from four days a week, excuse me, from five days a week to four. And Del Mar was six days a week. I mean, when I worked down at, where I worked at Del Mar for 10 years as well, in, in the, in the in Santa Anita, um, while Hollywood Park was still around, it went down for summers at Del Mar. That was six days a week, okay? We're rolling along fine. And when I'm talking about those times, some changes could have been made. Uh, I'm talking about, okay, there was a time there that I think we raced 52 weeks a year for like six consecutive years, okay? There wasn't a week off during this whole time. And I was, I mean, I would argue for this, what are we doing every day on the calendars filled? Take a week off between meets. Take 10 days off between meets. You know, just give everybody a break. Get, you know, let's, let's, oh, and this is where, you know, the TOC would get involved. And, and you know, once again, you've got some management, you know, new management coming in. And, oh, my gosh, we can't cut days. That's going to be look worse on the, on the sheet. I'll look bad. I'll get fired. 
So, you know, no innovative thinking there about, like I said, taking breaks. Many times less is more. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about this all the time. I mean, look at some of the numbers coming out now. We handled, uh, you know, 50 million on, on a certain day last year with 100 races. We're handling the same amount with, you know, half the races. So it, we could have at a time kind of trimmed the schedule down a little bit. Like I said, if you took off, a, uh, you know, meet ends on a Sunday, don't come back, take the whole week off and then come back the next Thursday, take nine days off between every meet here. You know, things like that, give everybody a little break, give them fresh, give the fans a break, everything like that. We, I think we could have preserved racing a little bit more, but it was just go, 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 go. And so that was, that was just for years I've been, I've been against that. We started December 26th. There were days where, where they would allow Los Alamitos to run like to the 22nd or 23rd. Were you kidding me? You know, there used to be, there used to be a two month break into oak tree i mean um before there was an oak tree before opening day at santa anita then oak tree came along and then we'd wait and then the hollywood fall meet came along and then you know then you got low salad it, it was just go 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 so um it, <laughs> so that was part of the problem so we get getting back to your question that's kind of a little background so we're now down to four days a week and we're down to four days a week and i'm talking we can fit that four days perfect you can't go four days with four days with eight races on the on the weekdays and you know maybe a, a ten and a nine on the weekends. That's how many races we have. It works. Don't start. Don't you you stretch that out. It blows the whole thing. You run that fifth day uh, during the week. That that blows the whole schedule. We just don't have the the horses. We can do the four days with the eight, eight, ten, nine. So. Um, you know, they came in, uh, Tim, Tim, Timmy came in, he wanted to do, put a little bit of Florida action in there with Gulf Street when they would run, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 races a day. And a lot of them were, were cheaper races. And, um, you know, economically, it's, it's not as feasible to keep a cheaper horse in California as it is in Florida. I mean, cost of living, the, the whole thing. It costs just as much to feed a $10,000 claimer as it does a steak horse. And... Because there's not that many, we can't offer as many races. You can't run every every ten days. You know they're spread out a little bit further along, and uh, so it, it just we didn't have that many horses. And even though the, we 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 try to we try to increase the purses on those races a little bit, it didn't matter. People, it just didn't pay the upkeep for the purses they could run for and the frequency they could run for. So by trying to run more cheap races, we didn't have the horses. It really thinned out. And once again, Gulfstream has a turf course, you know, as wide as a football field. And we have one course here. We have three rail settings. It's at zero, and then it's at 10, and it's at 20, and it's at 30. And when we run six months during the year from, from December to June, uh, guess what? You need to do a little preserving on that turf course. You, you kind of bite the bullet in January and February when it's going to rain anyway. And, and you, you just run a couple a day so you can pound at the last part of the meet. So by change, trying to change that schedule, A, into running more cheap races and running more cheap races on the turf, it goes it just kind of went totally against my psyche and, and, and uh, you know, the way I was taught to, to do things. You know, why would I want to run a maiden 20 on the turf and turn these horses into turf horses when the dirt horses are going fine? You know, why would I want to waste a, a turf race for maiden 20s 
when I could, I'd rather run a $50,000 claimer on there because there's only X amount of races per day, per week for that course. So, um, you know, those are some of the philosophies that, that they were headed. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go that way. Um, I wasn't looking to cheapen the program uh, as an accelerated way. And, uh, you know, like I said, it different philosophies and, you know, that, hey, they're in charge. They they have every right to have someone there that wants to, you know that goes along with what they want to do. So that was one of the things um, that uh, I think was probably the main thing that that uh, you know pushed me toward the toward the door. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't gonna. I didn't want to go down that. Uh, I didn't want to go down that road. It's just the way I, I felt, and uh, and so that that was that. The the rainbow thing, you know. <laughs> I mean. You talk about you talk about a bet that has just we just ruined. I mean, we we Southern California owned the pick six, and um, it, it was. I mean, other places just threw up their hands and said, "Why even bother?" Where you know we get two, three, four thousand dollar pools. Um, I mean, we're talking two thousand twenty. I mean, ten, twelve, fifteen years ago, we just had days that we would just guarantee a million dollars. In the pool, in the pool, you know, standing at Derby Day. Ooh, okay, six six, we guarantee a million. It was no seed money. We just guaranteed the pot was going to be a million. And I remember going into meetings and, uh, okay, we got to insure it. How much are we going to insure? Thirty dollars and thirty, thirty five thousand. I remember Mike and not Mike Carl and I going, uh, hey, we'll put up our houses. But could you write the check to us? We'll, we'll guarantee that you know it's going to be a million. And it would go over a million every time. You know, we do that. We would do it a couple of times a meet in Hollywood and Del Mar would do it. And so we own that bet. And it, it's, it's still, I, I'm still, and there's a many, many, many bettors that are, that are upset that that bet was gone. It was one of the only bets that you could come to the track every day in Southern California and literally having a chance to win 50,000 um, every day. And walk home with it with a, with a chance to win fifty thousand or a part of fifty thousand, um, because the pools were you know were generous, and you got rewarded for picking six. And if there was a carryover when it happened, I mean, that was the biggest. That was that was the, like one of the most the, the biggest thing was walking out the walking out the door. Is there a carryover? Is there a carryover? Is there a carryover? And you know, if there was, guess what? I mean. It was a big day the next day. Heaven forbid we had a double carryover, and it would just create a frenzy. And you know that that uh, that went away with with the Rainbow Six. And and you know once again, um, it was it worked wonderful in Florida. And and, and when I say working, um, you know people bet into it like crazy. I can't I still can't believe that much money spent into it. But they bet in there, and then they have their giveaway day. And believe me, when there's three, four million in, in the pot, I mean, who doesn't play? Um, and, you know, they handle six, seven, eight million. They do that three or four times a year. And, you know, it's a lot of money. But I think, uh, you know, sacrifice a, a, a bet that works for us uh, in Southern California, that, that pick six kind of putzed around with it for a while, doing a giveaway and half this, single tickets, uh, this, that, and the other. Um, so I, I, you know, was not uh, a big fan of that. Uh, um, so I think, like I said, every circuit, every place is different and there's nothing wrong with trying anything. And, and, um, I, I, I never am afraid to try or, or, or against anybody for trying anything. 
Um, and sometimes, you know, it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, you, sometimes you need, to, you need to buck up and say, hey, you know, we tried it, it didn't work, and let's move on to something else. Um, but no, I was not, I'm not a fan of that. I'm, I'm still not a, a big fan of that. Even though I wasn't a big pick six player, but, uh, you know, obviously I couldn't, I couldn't play when I was working, but if, you know, another, the other track was on, it was a carryover. I mean, Hey, call, Hey, Jonathan, pick six tomorrow. Let's throw in a hundred. Let's put a picket together, you know? And, and, uh, you know, you hit a, hit one every once in a while for a little bit with a buddy. I mean, it's great, but those days are, you know, those days are gone. And, uh, so yeah, that, uh, that, that didn't sit well with me. I don't know if that, that was much of, you know, a reason for me to go, but no, I was just part of the, part of the different philosophy that, that came in. And, um, you know, believe me, it, as far as it, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys where we've never done it that way. So we can't do it. I'm totally the opposite. I love change. I love trying things. So it wasn't that it's just, sometimes you just, you just got to feel that, you know what, it's just because it worked over there. It's not for here. And uh, just, yeah, it comes with knowing the territory and things like that. So, um, yeah, no, I was not a big fan of that. And and if we want to kind of segue to another little thing that I wanted to talk about is, is, is you know, coming out of coming out of this COVID thing, hopefully. But we're involved in we're involved in uh, Internet only wagering right now. Right. Uh, um, those that uh, it, didn't do it before, didn't like it before. Guess what? You're learning pretty fast uh, how to how to how to you know pick a pick a um, a, a spot to express bet or twin spires or Niagara bets or whatever else is out there that have an account and log on and and make your bets. So, a hundred percent of the bets are, are internet bets, and so uh, I think it's a good time to 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 uh, think of some something new and. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a couple ideas that uh, I've run by a few people, and I haven't. I it's, it's kind of odd that I didn't call you. I was gonna call you, but maybe uh, maybe it's good that you're hearing them for the first time now, so you're, you're, you'll get a reaction. But um, so during this time as well, I've I have uh, changed over, and because I have a lot of free time, I've been delving into the form a little bit more, and. Um, you know, doing some some of the contests on basically on Derby Wars, and I mean, thank God I didn't know about this five, six, seven years ago. My gosh, this is the greatest thing going. But I really enjoy like <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So um, I've been diving into the head head on uh, head or one on one thing. So I've been playing a little bit of that with Fawner. I'm the king of Fawner now, by the way. Just in case, just in case you didn't know, and they're closing tomorrow. In fact. I couldn't even play today because I have to, we we're doing this, uh, we're doing our interview. Uh, but uh, so I'm, I've just done very well as Fawner in Tampa. I play, I played, And I, I think, I think, you know, tracks that I don't know a horse. I don't know a trainer. I don't know an owner. I don't know a jockey, either one of those tracks. I think it's, I think it's work because I have no preconceived ideas about anything. And so I've done very well on, on, on the, on the contest. And I'm, um, I've learned, you know, I can pick horses. You know what? You know what I can't do? I can't, I can't bet right. And I've kind of known that all the time. I haven't had as, as many chances to bet over the years, but I do fine. I get a couple things here and there. Not that I'm a big better anyway, but I find it amazing that I spend hours and hours on, on this stuff a day, you know, and I go over and I, you know, narrow it down. And then the morning of, I do a little bit more work and it's like anything if you work at it and, you know, you get better at it. And um, I, I, 
I, I'll, I'll have a horse of, you know, it's like 20, you know, I know he's going to go off at 20, 25, 30 to one. And it's like, what do I do? You know, if he finishes second, uh, I should have had to try or that, that, that. And it really, it, it amazes me. So I like these contests where you just pick, pick horses and, you know, it's $2 across, you know, whoever has the most at the end of the day wins a few hundred bucks and you move on. So anyway, between that, and a couple of letters that I saw that I found when I was cleaning out my office here of, of, of some bets that I, want, I thought about uh, years ago. I, I, I come up with this, this, it's nothing, it's not, you know, reinventing the wheel or anything like that, but let me, let me see what you think about this. Okay. So a lot of the contests they have are, you know, you pick your, your, your races ahead of time and some of them you pick as you go. So what if you, you entered a contest, you know, you you're, you're, you're at the Keeneland contest. You, you pay your two thousand, and uh, you know it's ten races. And they say, okay, uh, post time for the first race is in ten minutes. Get your picks in, and you got to make all your picks for the whole day. Whatever you're going to do, you got to exact the bets, your tries for the whole day. You got to make your picks, or whatever you got to do. You got money to to play with. You're going to go. What are you crazy? But so think about this. So. If you're if we're making a pick five, we have a pick five, and that's turned into the, like one of the you know the biggest bets. We have an early one, we have a late one. Well, what if one of those pick fives you changed it a little bit? And this is for the internet players. So you dope out the the, the deal, and let's say you're going to play three horses in the first leg, then four, then three, then two, then five. That that that's that's what you figured you're going to play. So add that up for 50 cents going to cost you a buck 80. Okay. So you go to your account and you put in three, four, two, three, five, put in the money, pay your, pay your buck 80. Okay. But you don't fill in the horses yet. Okay. You, you've filled out the form of your ticket, but you're able to pick your horses as the races go along. So you pick the first race, you bought three slots of the first leg, you pick your three horses. If one of them wins, you go to the next leg. Oh, I got four. I got four slots in that ticket. Okay, I pick my four horses and I go. The, the the pool never changes. You can't buy an extra slot. You've already you've already bought the form of your ticket, but you're filling it out as you go, as you would a contest. You when you're in a contest, you you go race by race. What you're going to do? How you're going to select? So. You know, I've got called the flow five. In other words, you, you, you just flow along with the Duke. You're out, you're out. But when you get down to that last leg, I mean, I don't mean how many times, you know, we get down to that last leg, who do I have? Oh, two, four. Oh, damn. You know what? I wish I had the six in there. This jock's hot or the rail's hot all of a sudden, or, you know, it started to rain and the track, the turf, I, I mean, the turf stopped, you might've changed, but you move along. And so you're, 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 you're flowing along with the bet. So that was one of the things I came up with this. I'm, as I'm doing the, the, the contest, I'm going, well, why can't we do this on a bet like that? And I ran up by a few people like, you know what? You can't mess with the, the original one. But if you had a separate one like this, maybe it would flow because it, it has to be online because you can't be at the track turning your ticket in and you know doing it at a window. But what do you think about something like that? No, I mean, I think it, it makes sense from a, from a, you know, especially from a tournament player standpoint. Um, of being able to adjust on the fly. And especially, like you mentioned, the, the situations where it makes the most sense is weather. Um, you know, it makes sense with weather. It makes sense with track bias. It makes sense with, uh, like you said, a hot or a cold jockey or, or uh, 
or trainer. I mean, so often you'll, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so will have a horse in the first, that's one to five. He gets beat the second. He's got a horse of three to five. He gets beat. And you're like, I, I don't want anything to do with this person. Next thing you know, you got him singled in the last. Right. And you go, um, why do I have, and think about this as well. So you make your thing and let's say you're lucky enough to get, to get a few, a couple of, couple of bombs come in and you, you're live into the last race. Well, guess what? You got your prices. Now you're not necessarily thinking, I don't need another bomb. You know, I'm going to play it safe here now. It might, it, might, it might change the way you do it. On the other hand, if you got four chocks going into the last race and, you know, the payoffs, you know, it's one thing. You would not have will pays because nobody knows what, what it's going to be. But if, if, if it's chalky going into that last, you might take a shot with a, you know, a 20 to one shot now. Um, you know, it, it would change the way people, different people thought about, you know, the, the placement and, and, and the way the, the, the bet is, 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 you know, finished out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think the thing is, is like, it's, you know, in this game, you know, uh, I hate the answer. And I think I, I can imagine you hate it too, because you've actually hinted to it already. I hate the answer. Why can't we do it? There's two of them I hate. One is, well, that, well that's just, well, that's just, well, that's just not how we do it drives me insane and the other one is we don't have the technology to do that oh thank you yes it's always Please a no do you think we could change it from 50 cents to a dollar no excuse me don't you just have to change that lever and go you know move it up one exactly the first answer in this game no matter what it is is no and then you have to move on from there so i i i just uh i i i um th this came from me from from a um, from something that I had way back when called the split six in my mind. This was a split six. And it was a letter I wrote in 2004 to whoever was in charge of sanity at the time. And, and my idea was very similar. In fact, I even got the website split six and everything else. The, my, my deal was very similar where you played the pick six. And if you were alive after three, you picked the first three uh, legs. And if you were alive after that, then you got to pick the other three halfway through the same thing you bought the spot but if you were alive then you could you could you know adjust your ticket as as the last half of the ticket the split six um and so i you know put a combination together and i was doing the, the, the i guess it was a contest I, I i ran this by marshall by the way i talked to him a little bit and uh he's like wow that's not bad and but he's right about one thing you can't mess with the traditional pick five but you could do it as, you know, a, a, you know, the early pick five and say, hey, you know, give it a shot. Give it a try. You know, maybe even make it a buck. And that's another thing that we've talked about over the years. Um, why does every every bet have to be 50 cents? Um, Drives me just, insane. You know, we, we, uh, we, uh, we're actually going to revisit it this week. But we were, before COVID, we were very far along. Peter and I were, Thomas Fornatel, were, were far along on getting – a prominent racetrack to do a $3 pick five um, and uh, a $3 minimum pick five. We were close. I mean, like I think it was going to happen. And so we're going to revisit it now to see if we can still try to do it uh, when, when, when that racetrack, well, Good. we're going to, we're going to try to do that. The other thing, um, Paul Matisse, and I don't think we've ever talked about this before. Paul Matisse and I came up with this idea. Um, we were down in South Florida for a breeders cup, uh, uh, wagering committee meeting and we were just like you know hanging around brainstorming and we came up with this idea for we called it the q4 so it's a it's a pick four like quinella and essentially 
you know, maybe it's 10 cents, maybe it's 20 cents or whatever it is, but it's the same idea. It's a pick four, but instead of hitting the win, you know, just winning the race, you have to hit the Canela in four races in a row. And we felt like it would be, uh, you know, a really fun bet to do. And it would, it would generate the carryovers that obviously are, are very, um, are very uh, rewarding for the, for our game. You know, like you said, it gets a lot of handle, gets a lot of churn, gets a lot of people coming and showing up, big payouts, all that stuff. So, but you know, it's, the tote companies are, you know, I, I think sometimes the racetracks blame the tote companies, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think the racetracks just don't want to mess with the status quo, so they blame it. Well, we'd have to talk to the, to the tote company about that. And then they, if they talk to someone at the tote company who doesn't feel like messing with it, they don't want to mess with the status quo. They're like, oh, that'd be really hard for us to do. Or if we did it, we'd have to program it. It'd be this much, this much, that much. And, uh, and then it just never happened. So, um, you know what, it, it, you need to have that guy that's going to say no for an idea that somebody has. So I know exactly what you mean. You don't really want to do this. Do you know, oh, you know, I asked them, they didn't want to do it. See ya. hundred percent. Right. hundred percent. Right. On that. No, I'm now, not, look, I, 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 look, I'm a, you know, I made a joke to someone the other day. I'm, I've bet the national anthem the last three years in a row. I, I've been a coin flip before. Um, I've been in the dungeon at Santa Anita. They shut it down. Been in the dungeon Santa Anita playing quarters, throwing quarters up against the wall for obnoxious amounts of money. Uh, I mean, I like the action. I like the opportunity to, 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 to try something new. Um, there's so many fun wagers and so many wagering ideas I wish we had in this country. I wish we had, I wish we just had straight up matchups, um, in races. I know sometimes they had them in Vegas for a while and, and, and that kind of went by the wayside, but you know, I, I think that that's a, a great opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm one of the few people that thought the roulette bet was a great idea, but the pricing was horrendous, which is why it didn't work. If that was a 5% takeout bet, and I understand, I get it. You can't do that because of the regulators and the regulations and the taxes and the, this and the tote and the, that, and the ADWs, um, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. That's a, that's for the next time we have Marshall on to talk about the, the, yeah. why you couldn't do a 5% takeout bet with the ADWs. But I thought that bet was a great idea, except the pricing was so terrible that it wasn't going to work. And I remember kind of defending it at first. Um, and that was just me, you know, not taking into account how, how bad the pricing was. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. And like I said, you know, try it. And, uh, you know, might, might, might have, went along a little too far once once the pools are in the you know hundred dollar range but i agree with you it take a shot i have i've got one more bet that i had written down and 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 this is kind of way out there but you know like i said i'm i'm way out there myself so i had this bet another one this is one more last one i had it it was either called the super six or the super seven it's funny i went back and i got that domain name too i don't have it anymore but i did so so let's just say that uh we handled what ten billion in in action last year in in northern North America, right? In handle, we handled ten billion. If you took one third of one percent of that, so you you for every I think for every thousand dollars, it's 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 thirty three dollars. Okay, you took it off the top. Every bet made it. Every racetrack on the phone at the track anywhere. One third of 1% goes over into the big bucket over there. So if we handle 10 billion, at the end of the year, you'd have $33 million. Okay. Now, now you could, so now what, what are you going to do with that $33 million? Well, we're going to use that obviously as seed money. 
for a, a major, major bet. Whether you want to have one bet that's $30 million seated, let's rock. You don't tell me the whole world wouldn't be involved in a bet like that. Or maybe you want to have six days with $5 million seated uh, at different racetracks. And a very simple, whatever, whatever percentage each track contributed, that's the percentage that they profit from when it's all over. Yeah, you, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have these days on Breeders' Cup days or, or Derby days. Those days are already made. But you pick another big you know, day at different tracks, and you have like a Super 7. Have a pick 7. Whoever picks 7, you're seeding $10 million into the pot. I mean, that's going to be, what, you're going to get $50 million out of it? Um, so uh, other ways where uh, you know, there's a big, big payoff, but it doesn't sting uh, anybody to get there. So that was yeah, just one of my I love, things. When- I love that. You, I remember you've told me that one before and I, I absolutely, I love that one. I love that idea. It reminds me of this business model that I saw here in town in Austin. Uh, and it was in Texas. I mean, I think it's probably everywhere too. People are like, we got that here too. I'm just saying I saw it happen here about mm, maybe seven, eight years ago. And it, it bear with me. It's a little bit to the, you know, it's a little bit off the beaten path here, but there's this thing that was called the mega bus. And it was this bus that had like 25 seats on it or something like that. And uh, it was like a double decker bus that had Wi-Fi and like kind of comfortable seats. And, you know, it would take you on a three hour journey from Austin, Dallas or whatever it was. And the way that when they first came on the market, the way they did it was, is the first person to buy a seat for that bus paid $1. The second person paid $2. The third person, three, all the way up to $24. So even $24 for a three hour bus ride with Wi-Fi on a comfortable double decker bus is like the easiest, smartest thing to do. And so what they did is they did that for about a year. And I know they lost money, I think. I would assume they lost money. But what they did is they created a way of transportation. They, they showed people that if you need to get from Dallas to Austin, here is how you can do it. And they did it in a, in a way where they you know laid it all out. And so for me, that's how I feel like we don't do that in racing. We are so concerned with the money that we're going to make right now that we refuse to do things that wave our hands like, hey, 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 we're over here. We're over here. Hello, other people that are betting other sports, you can come bet this because the moment they come over, they're they're running into 20% takeout. They're running into a uh, having to pay for data. They're, they're running into all of these obstacles that our game provides that like you, you have to really, I mean, you got to be a guy that got a damn calendar in the mail and and uh and won five hundred dollars in college to fall in love with it you know (laughs) and that's the problem that that i see is that there's just no foresight and and it's it's very very frustrating it is um it it it, it, and you know you got to pay to to learn too i mean you know oh for sure yeah i mean i I tell people all the time um, you know, it's rewarding. I mean, obviously we know that it's rewarding and come home and I lost and let me go over that form and why did that horse win? How did I lose that race? What happened here? So when I see that, that condition again, or that situation, I can bet on that type of horse and get that, get the cash up. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I told you, I totally agree. I, I you know, once again, you know, uh, I, I want to keep going back and say, wish we could have, and there's no reason we can't do it, but we, you know, we just didn't cultivate when we, we, we try to get, we try to pull a NASCAR and get too broad, and tried to get the guy on the couch to come into our world that didn't want to, 
uh, instead of having uh, our own people market our thing. In other words, you know, bring a friend to the track day or, you know, let our fans cultivate our next group of fans and get them there. Um, I think we tried to, even now we, we, we care too much about the people that don't care about us, what they think. Uh, but that's a story for another day. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's once you get them, you know, once you get them in the circle, you know, it's, it's the greatest game there. And we could be a lot better at providing new fans with, with data. And I'm, you know, I'm with you this free Friday data. It should be free every day that ends in a Y uh, right. to beginners to, to, you know, teach them. <laughs> Hammer, I, I, uh, I, I have to because this is like a this is a situation where like everyone I talked to I told uh, told Steve Bick I was talking to you and I even even talked to Jimmy Ventura and everyone every the common theme was talk to him about eighty nine about eighty nine about eighty nine so eighty nine is coming up next but before I forget I have to ask you this question it's a little bit of the fanboy in me what was it like being the racing secretary when Zenyatta was running was it I mean, were you just scrambling to fill races and like, I mean, how did all of that unfold uh, when you had her? Oh, you know, when, when I was kind of reviewing a few thoughts for uh, what we were going to talk about and nothing in general, because, you know, you don't want to get stuck to, but I was jotting down some horses. I said, you know, maybe you can ask me a simple question. Like, what's your favorite horses? And I'm going to go, blah, 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 blah. And so I wrote down four or five of them, and one of them, one of them was Zenyatta, of course. Uh, very, very, uh, very honored. God, I'm trying to think. Did I see every one of her races? Maybe I did. Uh, maybe I missed one or two at Hollywood Park. But but she uh, she was something special. I got I mean, she was. And I, I think I think what made her. A, it was, a, she was a she, which adds a little intrigue all the time, too. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'll start over. But um, the intrigue with her was that she was a her. And, you know, the owners, the mosses, the trainer, John Sheriffs, uh, the, you know, Mike Smith, uh, who, who ended up on, on her for, you know, most of her, I think, what, the, Except for the first race, was it the first couple of races? Somebody else was it? David Flores? I yeah. forget who. Yeah, I think so, David Flores. I think was was like was on the for the maybe for the maiden win, and then Mike the rest of the way. I think and Mike the rest of the way. So uh, it's just a just a perfect combination of owner, trainer, jockey. You know, likable everything. And here comes this big this big filly, and we've all seen great horses, good horses, and. There's something about a horse that comes from behind visually that does something. You know, a horse goes wire to wire. You go, yeah, it was great. I guess it was great. I mean, I, I, it's not visually great I mean, because you don't see anything. When you see horses, ass horses, and, and they go, there's just something satisfying about that. And the thing about Zenyatta, in every one of her races, you can go back and look them. At some point during that race, She's not going to win. There's no way she's getting there. You you actually, you know, in your mind, well, she's going to get there and you're going, I don't think she's going to get there this time. So it was, every race was a thrill. It, it just, it was just, it was so cool to witness and see that. And I was there, uh, you know, Churchill when she got beat and, you know, it, uh, 
it was almost, I don't know, it was, just, it was a great ending to the whole thing. It just, just solidified her whole career. But she was actually one of those, one of, when, when she ran in stakes races, yes, there were some of them were small fields, but there were people that wanted to run against her just to say I ran against Zenyatta. So where, where there might have been some other superstar where it's like, I'm not touching that or I don't want to go near it. There were enough people out there that said, yeah, you know what? I'd like to have my name on the same program as Zenyatta. And so that uh, it wasn't as, as much of a problem as you thought. One, one little side story I have, uh, it was, it must have been, I think, this is 2009 that she won the Breeders' Cup? Was it that many years? I have a picture, uh, yes. I have yes. a picture in the back here, here at Santa Anita. Uh, so she won it. So she's coming back to the next year and the uh, 2010 and uh, the first race on their calendar is the Santa Margarita which is run in March sometime here. And uh, it's her first race back. And it's a handicap. And oh, I tell you what, next to, next to doing stalls, waiting, waiting races is, is brutal. Because you, you just you can't, you just can't please anybody. So uh, they come out with the, we, we the come out, nominations are out and they usually put the, the weights out a week before. Uh, so if nomination or if nominations close on like a Thursday, we put the we put the uh, weights out on a Saturday or Sunday, and then we hit her Wednesday or Thursday for the next weekend. So the weights are out. It's a Saturday or Sunday, and uh, we put the weights out for the Santa Margarita, fifteen horses, whatever it may be. And uh, it was during the, it was a weekend, and I, I was wandering around through the through the box seat area during the day. And uh, someone goes, hey, hey, uh, Sheriff's is looking for you. I said, oh, we're, you know, okay, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Um, I, I walked down a few more boxes. Hey, Sheriff's is looking for you. I think he's in your office. I said, yeah, okay, whatever, no big deal. So I wander back to my office, and John's sitting in there. And I look at him, and he is beat red, and he is pissed. And I have never seen John Sheriff's pissed. And I go, oh. Uh oh, I shut the door and he didn't like the weight. <laughs> and here I, I look, most of my job is knowing what people want before they ask. When they, somebody walks to your door, into your door and you see him, you need to know what he wants before he asks it so you're ready. I was, I was totally taken off guard. I mean, I had no clue. It's like, okay, she just won a Breeders' Cup, uh, you know. Horse of the year, whatever, best days, or she's coming back. And I think we put like, I, I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to say 127 on her. And I think she carried 124 or something against males, whatever it was in the breeder's cup. Actually, I have the program on my wall in the back here. Um, so didn't really think that much of it. And he was like, oh, you're trying to get your feet. Are you kidding me? Da, 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 da. Let's see, number four, she carried 123. In, uh, uh, against the boys, right? Which the boys carried, which is like her 126. So, you know, we figured 127. I mean, it might have been the highest she carried at the time, but it wasn't, you know, I learned a long time ago from Mr. Frankel that, and um, as far as weight, and believe me, he had something to say about every race that was weighted. Um, but he made a good point to me early, and Bobby and I got along great, but uh, you don't weight horses to get them beat. And you know what? He's right. You don't just keep piling. Okay, we'll just keep putting weight on this horse until they finally get beat, and then we'll back off. 
And, you know, mentally, without thinking that, it's kind of what you do. Okay, horse carried 125, you want, okay, let's go 126. Oh, you want a 126, let's go 127. You know, so without thinking about it, that's what you're doing sometimes. Let's wait until they get beat and then we'll back off. And, you know, he gave me a speech one day, Bobby did. It's like, you're not supposed to do that. You wait, you know, and he's right. You know, you, you, you know, there might be a limit that, you know, that's it. You can lower the weight from some of the other ones, but you know what I mean? You, you don't wait them to get him beat. And I didn't think that was a bad, a bad, uh, uh, a bad weight. Well, lo and behold, of course he runs. Um, and let me tell you, ones like I told you, and I can't remember exactly the race, but I'm going to go back and watch it when we get done. But I'm telling you that one of those points, like I said, that during that race, when like, she's not going to get there. I was ready to get in my car and get the hell out of there because I mean, if she loses this race, I mean, you're thinking, oh my God, what happened? Even though it probably had nothing to do with it. I, I was, I did not enjoy that race. Let me just tell you that. Uh, she won and I was just like, oh my God, thank you. And then she went on to the bandit. I think Martin put 129 on her. But I mean, I, I, I remember that scene like just innocently walking in and, hey, John, what's going on? And I mean, he's the, he's the nicest guy and, you know, we're, we're buddies. And then, I mean, he, I could tell immediately he was just pissed. And he's not a man of many words with that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a long conversation, but I was just, hala, 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 you know, and, uh, and that, that race is, uh, whew, I'm glad she got up that day. So, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. so, like I said, it comes from any angle when you least expect it. But uh, yeah, that was that was wild. I, I could I still remember like every second of, of that. Hey, John's looking for you. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. No, no, John's looking for you. He's in your office waiting for you. Yeah, okay. Hey, what's going on? Probably wants reservations. You know, somebody's coming to town. Or, but no, no, he was whew, he was mad. But uh, I think, girl, I still think back to that. I go, man, I was sweating bullets. Let me tell you. Um, so, but, but but she just just so cool just to be around her. Like I said, just so visually pleasing. And you know what? Everybody rooted for her. That's what was so neat. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of one one idiot out there that said, "Ah, screw her." You know, I hope she gets beat. I never heard that. Not here. Not in Southern California, anyway. I mean, she was. Uh, she was uh, uh, just just a fun fun animal, and and I'll tell you what, probably the last horse that brought fans to the racetrack that I that I actually you could you could see it on a, on a Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. If we got fifteen thousand, we got twenty five thousand, and people just came to see Zenyatta. It didn't matter whether it was here or Hollywood Park. Or Del Mar, wherever it was, and it, and I don't think you know it's something you can't manufacture. You can't just say. I mean, we've had you know uh, you know Triple Crown horses, and you know California Chrome went to you know, Los Alamitos had a California Chrome day. Uh, you can't make it up. You just it just she just had that that uh, that special thing about her, and like I said, the combination of the ownership. And John was so gracious, and Mike, of course, is just Mike, and he's 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 the best, and and they were just so gracious with fans and and the, and the press, and and it, it just worked. So yeah, very 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 cool, Philly, and uh, you know it, that that keeps you going for another four or five years. You know what I mean? When you when you run through a streak like that, so she was absolutely a special horse. All right, we got we got to jump to eighty nine because then I got to pepper you with a bunch of how the hell do we fix this game question. So 
89, it was an all-star cast at Monmouth Park, and, and I heard you guys got into some trouble. So I'm supposed to ask you just to talk about 89, but then I'm supposed to ask you why there's no more Haskell boat ride as well. <laughs> oh, great. Um, okay, 1989. That's a, that's, a, that's a special, special year for me. So um, – I was working at Golden Gate Fields. That was my first job working. Uh, and, you know, um, I was living in Golden Gate Fields before uh, I got into the game. I mean, you know, officially, you know, on the inside of the game, I was living up there. I was working for a couple friends of mine, one of them, uh, Mike Stone, who uh, is now the, who owns Molly Stone's Markets in the Bay Area. It's like, uh, it was Whole Foods before Whole Foods, and he was a young entrepreneur and his first stores. And so I was working for him, uh, night crew stocking shelves, and I was working for another buddy of mine uh, uh, doing landscaping and uh, laying brick and things like that. So I was very busy. Uh, uh, work hard and play hard. But I was living up there when I when I saw the notice to go to University of Arizona and major in racetrack management and i said uh you know what i need to get out of here so i went to arizona and lo and behold my first job was back where where i was living at the time so it was 1989 i worked for my first boss was bob Humphrey, who you know i tell you what sometimes you, you put yourself in a position to get lucky and uh i've done that a few times and i've you know that was one of the times and he was uh he was uh, the, the the greatest uh, racing secretary horse person that I you know uh, was lucky enough to uh, work with, but he was my first, and we were very similar, uh, you know, kind of a little bit out there, not afraid to try things. Uh, you know, our, our favorite cocktail was Stoli on the rocks, uh, <laughs> happened to be the same thing, so we got along well, but. Uh, he was uh, sharp as a tack. I mean, he, he he knew breeding. He knew every. He had a phone book, you know, an inch thick. He knew everybody. And I just, uh, I I said, you know what? I'm gonna sponge off of him. I I just learned everything that as I could off of him. So after a couple of years at Golden Gate, he he said he it was it was early in 1989. He said, you know, because you might be all right. He said, but uh, you got to get out of here. I said, what do you mean? He said, you need to go back east. They said, yeah, well, maybe sometime. He goes, no, no, you, you need to go back east. And we're in his office at Golden Gate Fields. And he literally picks up the phone, dials the number. He talks for a few minutes. He goes, yeah, he'll be there. Yeah, okay, fine. He goes, you're going to Monmouth Park this summer. I said, excuse me? Yeah, he said, you're going to Monmouth Park this summer. And uh, I said, uh, okay. Now, this is 1989. In 1988, my wife and I had taken a trip across country, and we're you know going here, stopping there, and we were. I had been to Monmouth Park in prior trips, and we I'll never forget this too. We were driving on the parkway, and we're trying to get to Monmouth Park on a 150 degree muggy Saturday afternoon on the Jersey Shore, and we're coming up the parkway, and lo and behold. I'm in the I'm in the express lane instead of the you know the local lane and I'm you know driving by the exit and I am you know pissed like I'm sweating we miss the exit I remember like cutting across the barrier turning around going back 
you know, we're supposed to be there for the first race. We got there for the fifth race and it was a miserable day. And I literally remember driving out of there going, I'm never coming back to New Jersey in the rest of my life. It was just, and I remember that comment and she just walked in the room. She just walked by me and she's laughing because she remembers it too. And so here I am. He sets me up to go to Mama's Park, right? So we're, we're probably in, in March-ish or something. And I go, okay, well, that's great. I go, uh, where do I, where, where am I going to stay? He goes, ah, you stay with my sister. Okay. Yeah, whatever. That's, I guess. Well, there's no, there's no, you know, question. I'm going. So being me, I, I always like to check things out ahead of time. So I want to make a little run ahead of time just to kind of, you know, find out where I'm going. So um, some of sometime in April. Um, I said, well, I'm going to just going to buzz out there for the weekend and kind of, you know, just get the lay of the land. So lo and behold, um, Casey is Bobby's uh, sister, Casey Kelly. Well, her husband, uh, Danny Kelly is having his 40th birthday party on the time I'm going to be there. So, well, I got to go to the party, right? So I land and the party's on you know, Saturday, whatever day that is. And I'd land to get the car, you know, check out the area, stop at the liquor store, get a couple of half gallon jugs of the stoli and knock on the door and uh you know knock on the door and you know i can see like a screen door you can see like probably you can see a little silhouette of this guy at the door holding two half gallons and she goes oh you got stoli you must be bobby's friend come on in you make the bloody mary and i mean literally that's how it was and so at this party um there's a lot of people there and i'm Who's this guy? His Bobby's friend. So that's all. That's all I did. I'm Bobby's friend. I'm in. So I'm I'm meeting people left and right, and we get into the discussion of Sunday silence and easy goer. Well, guess what? Here's this loudmouth guy from the West Coast that, you know, easy goer, another East Coast, blah blah blah, and Sunday Suns is gonna you know win the Derby and you know whatever. And I'm talking, you know, as loud as I can be, and anyone that's ever know me in the day and you know to this day watching a Steeler game I can get pretty loud sometimes so anyway that goes away go back and, and do my thing and uh the derby runs and I'm at Golden Gate Field I'm up in the placing stand and uh I get a phone call to patch through and I get hello and it's Carolyn Perlswig, who I had met that day, she goes, oh, you were right you were right yeah yeah Sunday size TDZ goer man oh yeah you, you were right so I go, oh, that's kind of cool. So the Preakness comes along, or she wins the Preakness. And anyway, so meanwhile, I've gone back there. So I get to, I get to, uh, I get to uh, Mama's Park. They end up, you know, I'm staying at Casey's house in the back room, and he's kind of getting ready to go over a couple of days before entries. And so we get there, first day of entries, and I'm sitting there, and first person to walk through the door is Jimmy Ventura. Well. Jimmy's brother Tommy, Tom Ventura, who's who runs OBS uh, in, in Florida right now, was also one of my teachers in uh, in Arizona. So you know, he goes, "Oh, my brother's going to be working in the office," and you know, he goes, and so we walk in, and Jimmy goes, "Oh, you got to be Rick, you got to be Jimmy," and you know, it's like ten seconds in, we're friends for life. One of those things. So so Jimmy walks in, I meet him, then some agent walks in, and then. As we're taking entries, like the first five guys that walk in, um, five trainers are people that were at the party. So I'm sitting there and everybody walks in. Hey, Rick, how you doing? Hey, Rick, how you doing? Hey, everyone's like, how do you know these people? Right? Here's this new guy fresh off the boat from California, obviously people, and everyone's saying hi to me. 
And it was like, it was like, I just fit right in. It was just very cool. And so it moved along. And to this day, I have a picture that I take with me wherever I go. And it's the Fred Stone of Sunday Silence and Easy Goer in the, in the Preakness. And to this day, it's, if, if Easy Goer wins the, the, the Derby and the Preakness and whatever, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm just another loudmouth from California out the door. Seriously, I really think that I would, just, would have just not gone right. But the fact that the horse won and, you know, end up winning the Breeders' Cup, I just, it, it kind of made me legitimate for some reason. You know what I mean? It was just great. So, Anyway, I get to go to Mammoth Park. And let me tell you, uh, Bobby was right. Humphrey was right. I mean, that is racing. I mean, I'm talking, we're talking in 1989, Belmont's king, um, New York is king, but Mammoth is, you know, is Avis. You know, they're trying harder and uh, a definite clear second in the area. I mean, great racing, great this. And so I walked into... I've been working in the office like three years and I don't know what Bobby told him, but you know, I, I think they expected that I knew more than I did, but I couldn't let him know that I didn't know what I didn't know type of thing. So uh, I, once again, I sucked everything up. Now we had a lineup there. If you look back. So it, it, back in those days, I mean, it was six days a week. We worked six days a week and um, you battled everywhere for horses and, we had a crew and you had, we had a small racing office. Everyone, he had a, excuse me, a phone book, a phone and an ashtray. And you just pounded it out until you got the cards done. But we had Bob Polina was the racing secretary and maybe longtime racing secretary, you know, well-known, you know, knew, knew his business there. And Mike Dempsey was the assistant who became the racing secretary there. Randy Soth. Uh, was in the office, and of course he he he's been all over the place in Atlantic City. I think he opened up the track in Houston and became general manager at, at Hialeah. Uh, Sal Sinatra was in the office there. Who's now you know head of racing in Maryland. Uh, Jimmy Ventura was there with all his knowledge. P for D. He he's head of marketing now. Mike Melendez is a steward in, in uh, Philadelphia Park still. Um, so this was this was the, the people that I walked into. Uh, oh, and by the way, the management when I walked into was Hal Handel, who of course, uh, longtime executive ran Philadelphia Park was with Naira. Uh, Lou Raffetto, uh was the assistant general manager who's been everywhere and and you know, was one of the maybe the smartest guy I know in racing. And, and oh, by the way, Jim Gagliano uh, was there as a uh, uh, part of the management team, who's now of course the head of the jockey club. So this was the crew that I got thrown into and I'm you know when you look we go oh my gosh I mean look at these people so it was all it was it was serious business I mean when racing was on I mean we we uh we we did what we had to do and but I'll tell you what everybody I think pretty much lived on the grounds I ended up uh Mammoth owned a bunch of houses at Wolf Hill across the street which was like this old time library 10 story type house, really, uh, really historical. Um, the, uh, where we would put trainers up and, and one of the guys in the office family lived there and took care of the place. I lived in a, in a house called the century house, um, which was a, an old house that had four bedrooms. I think this, she was in there. Marianne Alligood was there. Um, 
Randy Schulhofer lived there and I was there and I forget who lived downstairs. Mary Cartwright, who was the horse ID, had some other house. So most of us lived on the ground. So we were like at summer camp, um, you can imagine. So basically all of us were, you know, in our thirties, early thirties, basically single and, you know, loved racing and ready to rock and roll. So we, we, we had, a, we had a good, uh, we had a very, very good time. And, um, you know, and we just be, we all became, you know, fast friends. And um, I tell you what, racing was king. We do whatever it took to make, put those cards together. And I, I was introduced to Haskell Day. I'd never, you know, I, 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 you know, Golden Gate Fields, the biggest day was, uh, you know, when we had, did have John Henry come up for the Golden Gate Handicap. And, you know, that was great. But I'd never been a part of a big day. And, you know, I had heard Haskell Day, Haskell Day since the day, the, the day we started. And now, so pre, two years prior to that was, you know, the Haskell with Bet Twice, uh, Ali Sheba and Lost Code. You know, the three of them came down to the wire together. And, you know, like basically, I think kind of put Haskell on the map, um, you know, nationally. It was just like, you know, the race of the century type of thing. So we're two years later, we're 1989. And, um, you know, everything is Haskell, Haskell, Haskell. Well, um, so lo and behold, you know, I do my deal. I, I, I said, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get a horse for you. And so I make a phone call and I get a horse to come out from Golden Gate Fields. It might have been the first one to ever run at Monmouth Park from Golden Gate Fields. Uh, turns out to be uh, King Glorious, uh, Jerry Hollendorfer's horse, who who uh, obviously I was, and I, I never forget that too. I, I never asked many people about horses. And I remember looking at Jerry Hollendorfer's file. He had a bunch of, I said, do you anything you like in Jerry? Because yeah, I got a nice two-year-old. That was the year before, obviously, and it was King Glorious. And so, lo and behold, hey, come on out. So we get him to come out to the Haskell, and there was like, Golden Gate Fields, who's this horse? What's going on here? So, of course, the horse wins, right? And, <laughs> you know, that, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I mean, what's going on here? So, horse comes out, first horse ever, like I said, that probably ever ran from Golden Gate Fields, wins the biggest race. But that day... I never seen anything like it. I think there was, if there was 11 races, there was 10 stakes and I'd never seen anything like this before. or never really, really, uh, you know, fathomed that. And, and I don't think any other place really did that. I think that was more of a deal of building these big days. And it was so cool, you know, having, you know, every, every, and people from around the whole region wanted to be part of that day. It's the first time I've ever seen a day that people just wanted to run just to say they were running on Haskell day. So we, we, you know, it, it just like, and I, I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, I'm, I am in heaven. This is so cool. I'm on the Jersey shore where it's like real racing. And, and, um, and I'll talk about the boat ride in a second, but, but, having King Glorious win. And I remember, I remember, I remember Hal telling me, you know what? Good job. If you can do this again next year, I'll send you to Hawaii. And guess what? I did do it again next year. I got another horse from Golden Gate Fields to come out. This horse called Restless Con, trained by Dwayne Oakfield. And he won the Haskell again. So here's two years in a row, a horse from Golden Gate Fields wins the freaking Haskell. So it's pretty, it's just did, it kind of. Did he send you to Hawaii? No, because I, you know what, I never pressed him on. I think it was just one of those times, you know, having a, having a, having a few cocktails. That, but I remember, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going. 
kind of scared. Should I really should I, should I say it? Was he kidding? Was he really meant it? But no, he did not send me to. He did not send me to why. But uh, um, I mean, just like I said, that that whole day, it just it opened my eyes to this. Literally, this is racing. This is what it was all about. And so, like I said, we would race six days a week, and on the seventh day. I'd go to Del- uh, Delaware Park, or I'd go to Philly, or I'd, I'd go to Freehold and watch the, you know, for the Trotters, uh, you know, anything like that. In fact, in fact, I remember my first real day off was sometime in June, and I actually flew to Arlington Park for their pre-entry day. When they reopened in 1989, they had a pre-entry day, like a like a soft opening, and um I got it. I, someone put that in my head. So I remember coming back in. What'd you do on your day? I went to the beach. What'd you do? I said, oh, I went to Arlington. What? Who are you? What, what, what kind of a nut are you? So, um, but I sit right, I sit right in with that group. Uh, and, and uh, like I said, Mama's Park is, uh, will always be a, you know, just a, a special place. In fact, at that, they tore down Wolf Hill. Uh, unfortunately, but we had our, our East coast wedding reception there. And uh, well, that was quite a bash anyway. I can't believe it. We, we actually saw the pictures the other day of that, but uh, we won't let any of those out. But, but 1989, they used to, they, they, what they would do for the Haskell uh, is they would, I don't know how long they, they've been doing it, but for that year, they have, for everybody involved in the Haskell, they would uh, we'd go on a boat ride. And what that meant was we would go up to, Liberty State Park or wherever it was, and get on a boat and have a little dinner cruise, and you know they'd go around the Statue of Liberty and then come home and and the race was you know the next day and uh, well, <laughs> we, you know, have to you, you take the bus ride you take the bus ride up and uh, so I don't know how much I was involved in this, but uh, we 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 somehow got the bus driver to stop at a liquor store on the way up, and uh, <laughs> there was two buses. The first bus went on their merry way, and then there was our bus. And uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I know there's a couple bottles being passed around the bus as we're driving up, and you know there's owners in there, and there's there's trainers, and there's people that get on the list. And then I learned. Uh, that there was horses that would enter that we were just with an invitational, so it didn't cost to enter. So there were a couple of party horses that would just enter, so they could go on the on the on the bus rides. And uh, we were late getting there, and they held the boat up uh, because we took a little longer to to get there. And we were we were very happy when we got off the bus, and even happier when we got off the boat for the ride home. And uh, on the ride home, we started. We started singing some songs, and there may have been a couple things happened with a couple of the of the of the ladies on the on the bus. Where so there's some clothing might have been shredded. There's you know, but I I can't really remember what happened. But but um, it was it was it was a memorable 1989 bus ride. And was that the, it, it was the last one. Well, it wasn't too long after to where the uh, they ended up having a party uh, at the track for the uh, Haskell people. Um, you know, nothing nothing major bad was done. Um, you know, everybody was smiling the whole night, but uh, uh, there was there was a couple of <laughs> a couple of things going on in the bus that was just funny. Good, you know, uh, 
You know, it's like it was like, like I said, it was like a camp. It was like going to camp. It was a camp bus. Oh. We had it was it was a blast. And, and let me tell you what, anybody that was on bus number two uh, remembers that bus ride. <laughs> Maybe not much about the boat ride, but the bus ride. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that that kicked us off, and then we went to the Meadowlands after that. Oh my God, that, that's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Flaming Gorilla. Man, Whew. so and, oh, let me say, I got to say one more thing about about uh, about Mammoth Park. So I'm I'm at Mammoth Park, and it's halfway through the through the meet, and um, you know I'm, I'm calling my friends back home, and I remember going, everything, hey, how you doing? I go, you know, it's kind of cool here. I go, but some girl is the leading jockey here. I go, I'm at a track with a girl leading leading jockey, and I'm going, man, you got to be kidding me. And of course. That jockey is Julie Crone. And, you know, I just, you know, there's no girls, there wasn't many girl jockeys out here in California. No big deal, but it's like, hey, what's going on here? And oh my God, I'm going to tell you, she was, I mean, she, I've never seen anything like this phenomenon that was happening. I mean, obviously, you know, man or woman, she was just head and shoulders above everybody. I mean, she just was, she was magic. I mean, prone on was the, was the, was the magic. If she never rode the horse before, she was moving the horse up. And I never seen like, like Zenyatta, people go to the track for Zenyatta. People go to the track to see Julie Crone. Uh, it, it was just the most amazing thing that, that you'd see. I mean, she was so gracious and so, you know, out and about and, you know, her just vivacious and talked to everybody and, 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 and very, you know, it, it, it was like, and boy, was that school. She was, I mean, she was one of, she's one of the best riders I've ever seen anywhere. Um, how she just, just got along with the horse and just made things happen. And she was, she was the queen of Monmouth and at the Meadowlands as well. But uh, I never forget, like, oh, yeah, some girl's leading the leading rider here. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, darn right. One of, one of the best riders of, of all time is, is there. And so, so this was back in the day where, um, jockeys when you name them nowadays when you name when if you enter a horse if you're a trainer and you enter a horse and you know blue boy who you ride mike smith but you, you you do that and at the draw when you do the draw um if mike smith named on two horses the agent says okay we're going to ride for, for 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 them and you know take me off the other one well back then you could be named on 10 horses a race it didn't matter and then you would check in and and work all that out later well she would be named on five, six, seven horses, the race, or uh, Larry Cooper, Snake. Snake Cooper was her agent and, and just the most easygoing guy in the world. Perf- I mean, they're a perfect team. And he, you know, his famous, uh, name me on. Uh, yeah, just name me on. Yeah, just name me on. So, you know, you, you have the luxury of looking at the form and pick the best horse, and we'll ride that one, and we'll ride that one. And, uh, of course, everybody wanted Julie Crone. And so, you know, she'd win, and she'd just, you know, win three a day. And it was, it was, it was really something to see. And uh, so then they move the, they move the, uh, and so what you learn in New Jersey, and let me tell you, um, maybe one of the few people that say that, but I would move back to New Jersey tomorrow. Love New Jersey. The people are great. Um, I mean, so different from here, just more, uh, more open. Um, I mean, you're so much more apt to be having a beer with a guy, you know, watching a football game and end up at his, you know, at his, kitchen table for for dinner that night 
than anywhere else in the world. And you know, it's not like they're looking at just, hey, hey, come on for dinner, join the family. And it's a very friendly, very warm type place. Um, so we loved it there. They were on the Jersey Shore, and I, I, you know, what's the big deal? It's just a beach, isn't it? Well, little did I know that you know people come from you know hundreds of miles away to come to the Jersey Shore because there's you know not a lot of places to go to the beach around there. So that was always a that was always a you know a thing. But so so summer, I learned summer has nothing to do with the day, the weather. It's I mean it's Memorial Day, summer opens, and Labor Day, summer's over. So that shop that was open the day before Labor Day, or you know, or the you know whatever it may be, the ice cream stand, whatever, it's closed. Labor Day is summer's last day, and whatever you, whatever you, wherever you came from, wherever you were doing, you head home on uh, on, on Tuesday, and that's the way it went. So Tuesday was traveling day, and we would head up to the Meadowlands because uh, guess what? We start racing on Wednesday. So. Here's the Meadowlands, same, basically the same group of guys, uh, racing office guys. Now, totally different racetrack crew up there. So just more, you know, you know, hard North Jersey union guys working the track. And, you know, if you want a light bulb changed, uh, you don't dare change it yourself. You call the maintenance guy and one guy brings a ladder, one guy brings a light bulb and one guy screws it in and you don't mess with that routine. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit different situation, but, uh, so the barns are, are, uh, you know, not, it's not quite as pastoral, shall we say, uh, up in, uh, up in, uh, the Meadowlands and you're, you're right there off, uh, route 17 Patterson plank road exit, uh, 16 B I'm going to say off the turnpike. And, uh, you're right. Literally across uh, you I think it turned out to be 11 minutes from the stable gate to the Empire State Building no traffic so uh you know you can see the city and and if there's a place ever built for the nighttime it was there because it's not a pretty sight in the daytime but at night the place comes alive so um so you're at the Meadowlands and the same process obviously we take entries during the day but we race at night and you need to be pretty hardy to go through six nights a week. Now you did get a day off. I every every other week you got a day off. So, but basically we race six nights a week. Uh, and uh, like I said, Sunday we'd go to the football game. So really no rest. But we were young and and uh, doing just fine. But so we would take entries during the day, and entries sometimes we struggled with up there. So we may not close entries till two or three in the afternoon and then you get some time to either take a nap get a sandwich or you know go out and uh and uh have a pop or two and then come back and uh and do the nighttime gig so the races started at i'm gonna say seven seven thirty and if if you know during the week probably ran nine and maybe ten on the weekend so you're getting out of there at eleven you know eleven thirty at night and um you know lots of times whew, it's 1130. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> Let's go to the city. And so many, you know, many a night we would just hop in a car and drive over to New York City and, you know, check it out and come back home, you know, one or two in the morning and start it again. Uh, so it was it was a, it was a just a continual uh, uh, motion up there. But the Meadowlands itself rocked um, back then. Fridays and Saturday nights. Uh, everybody came over, riders came over, uh, you know, 
horses wanted to. They had a great stake schedule. Um, it was just a very cool place to be. They had uh, they had the Pegasus Restaurant, and you would go up the elevator to the top floor or to the floor, and the elevator walk you walk out of the elevator and be like a raw bar there. And to the left was the buffet, and to the right was seating, and it was packed every Friday and Saturday night. And people, once again, people would come. So they got a horse in, they were guaranteed seats. And let me tell you, like I said, if there was a place ever built for the nighttime, it was the Meadowlands. And you'd sit there and look over to the right was the New York skyline and we would race. And it was, it was, it was pretty cool uh, up there. And, you know, it would get cold in December and uh, we would, we would, we would, uh, you know, finish up. But, uh, a lot of trips here and there. These were back in the days where, you know, if you got a tip on a horse, uh, you know, during the morning hours or something, we would send somebody and we, they'd have to drive over to the, uh, go through the Lincoln Tunnel uh, over to Penn Station, or you could take a bus over into over to Penn Station. And there was an OTB uh, parlor right there in Penn Station. So if you got a tip on a horse, we'd, we'd send somebody over, you know, in New York to, to uh to make a wager. And, uh, you know, sometimes we cash, sometimes we didn't, but, uh, you know, you did different things there, uh, to keep, uh, to keep busy. But, uh, the racing was, was, was top notch for years and years and years. And I, like I said that, that, uh, that, um, that Pegasus restaurant would just roll. I mean, there was a time when, when Mike Smith was, was, uh, was towards the end of the year when he was trying to break, uh, break the record for, uh, stakes wins or graded stakes wins, one or the other. And boy, his agent at that time was Steve Adika. Uh, and uh, my friend, and he was, he was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was a perfect, if you looked up the word jock age in the dictionary, he, he was there and, uh, and he was talking, but he would he'd come over and, you know, line up mounts for Mike. And he had, he did end up breaking the record that year. I'm, I'm probably been broken since, but, but he would come over, Bailey would be over there. All these, everybody would come over to ride at night over there. And we had, you know, great stake schedule with them. You know, Meadowlands Cup was big. Uh, uh, we had the Pegasus. I remember one of the fun things that, that I ever did for that, a lot of horses come out to, to run in that race. Olympio, I think, came out. Uh, McAnally got the horse called Diazzo to come out, which was uh, trained by Bill Shoemaker at the time. And Patty Gallagher was his assistant. I remember he came out and, and he was uh, – he was uh, the assistant and uh, Pinkai Road. So it was very cool. Uh, he won, of course. I, I did, back then, I just I had the magic touch. If you if I got your horse to ship out there, you, you you did pretty well. And one of my favorite photos of all time, I got to give the trophy away. And so in the trophy is Mr. and Mrs. Paulson, who, who owned Diazzo. And of course, Bill Shoemaker, the world's winningest jockey at the time, and Lafitte Pinkai, who I think was second at the time, and that was that was a very very special night. Um, but at that time, you could get and you could never afraid to pick up the phone to call anybody with any horse to come out and race either at Monmouth Park or the Meadowlands. It was it was it was up there, and uh, between those two places, I got to know. Uh, just a ton of people from obviously from New Jersey, but a lot of the people from New York. And then when I went to the, to Gulfstream, I went to Gulfstream three or four when Bobby Humphrey got the job as racing secretary, 
back at Gulfstream in the 90s. I went down there four or five years and worked down there with him. At the time when Gulfstream ran from, I'm going to say the early January to mid, uh, mid-March, it was like 63 days, six days a week. Once again, it's like 10 weeks. It was the best meet in the country, bar none, better than Saratoga, better than Del Mar, better than Keeneland. The winter dates at Gulfstream was unbelievable. You never knew who you were going to see on the track there. The jockey calling was 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 fantastic. Um, and, you know, between the two, I mean, I, I, I finally understood why I, we were in New Jersey. We lived in New Jersey. And after a couple of years of driving back and forth to Golden Gate Fields in the winter, we said, Dad, you know, forget that. We're staying in New Jersey. And so we stayed in New Jersey and, and, you know, winter would come along and everybody left. It's like, where's everybody going? And we finally figured out they were going anywhere. They were just getting, getting where the sun was. And so everybody went to Florida. And uh, so we said, well, we might as well get on that bandwagon. So we ended up going to Florida and we're, like I said, worked down there uh, a few, uh, a few summers, I mean, excuse me, a few winters and just, you know, just loved it. I mean, I was in heaven here. I'm, you know, working at the best meet in the country in the wintertime and working on Mammoth in the summertime and, and the Meadowlands in the, in the wintertime. And, uh, you know what, it's, uh, I, I learned a, a ton and, um, you know, I, I literally, I had the best 12 years of my life back there. It was not even close from 1989 to 2000. But, uh, once again, uh, you know, I, I got married in, in, in the nineties. I had my daughter, we had our daughter in the nineties. I made, you know, ton of lifelong friends there. But like I said, sometimes, I think we, I think we, we did, I had, I did as much damage as possible knowing that eventually we were going to leave. So it was just like, you know, let's blow it out for a while and, and, and just enjoy the hell out of it, which we did. And then when the phone call came, like I said, sometimes it's just time to go and, you know, left at the right time, you know, got, uh, like I said, got those good years in and came back home. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it just worked out and, and, there's no, you know, and, I, and I, I, I say, when I talked about my wife and my daughter, let me tell you, there's no way you can do anything in this business without having a supportive family behind you because uh, it's not normal. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe not every job is normal anyway, but, uh, you know, we, hey, we work weekends and we work holidays and we work, uh, you know, pretty much every other day too. Uh, so it becomes, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not a job. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate, Gina, my wife, she's not a race tracker and, but she gets it and, uh, she likes to travel and be places and meet people. So, you know, we've taken that, uh, advantage of being able to, you know, live in some pretty cool places and meet a lot of people. And, uh, my daughter's not a race tracker either. And, but she, you know, she grew up with me and, uh, so, uh, you know, every weekend we couldn't, uh, you know, go to the mountains or do things, but when we were off, we did a lot of things, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of single people in racing and some have been married and some haven't, but, uh, it can be very trying, uh, on, on a family. And, uh, like I said, I've been very blessed that, uh, you know, my, my girls here have been very understanding and let me do what uh, I needed to do to, to, uh, you know to get the job done and, and, you know, and always included them in any of the fun that took place, but uh, you, you got to have that. But I, I, I honestly, well, it's not even, it's not even a question that if I didn't make that 
foray back to the East Coast. There's no way I'd have been ready to take over, uh, you know, at Santa Anita when when I was asked to. There's just I would not have had the com- I wouldn't have had the knowledge or the, or the confidence to uh, to do that. So it uh, you know it gave you a really really great foundation and uh, you know really moved me along. No, I think it's really important. You know, this is a great transition too. You know, talking about having the experience and the and the knowledge and confidence to do what you did at Santa Anita. Um, you know, the more I've gotten involved in this game, and and I've I've learned that there's a lot of things behind the scenes that kind of drive everything. And one of the things that I've realized that happens to be unbelievably important obviously and is is the condition book and and the job that you held for for this whole time of making the races go uh where are they placed uh i hear so often talking to my trainer friends rider friends jockey friends uh agent friends owner friends you know oh when's the book coming out here's the book uh they're not using this race they didn't use that race this one didn't fill this is they use the extra this condition they wrote they wrote the race like this oh they wrote the race for that horse they did that so every story essentially comes back to it and so one of the things i wanted to do is is i you know i got a list of questions but i i really just wanted to kind of have a conversation with you from a you know not not so much from a horse player standpoint but just from the game standpoint uh about uh your you know the the career that you had um as a racing secretary and, and handling the book the first thing i wanted to start with is, and we'll let it kind of go where it goes from here, is that the thing that I feel like I've realized is that most of racing's issues, whether it's horse welfare, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the kind of purse differential, whether it's field size, whether it's uh, bet type, medications, positives, all these things, to me, a majority of those things come back to the claiming game. Whether it's uh, you're dealing with cheaper horses, less sound horses, you're you're dealing with that that uh, really complicated situation of 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 you know uh, you know dropping a horse. Why are you dropping horses? Because the horse isn't sound. But if he's not sound, then why are you running him? All these things that I feel like they all come from. Uh, the, the 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 claiming game what is your take on the claiming game do we need it in this country if we're gonna have it how do we change it what's just your overall thoughts of 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 claiming in north america well wow that's a good question um you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a true it's a true market value way of of keeping horses like horses together. And so people ask me, you know, what do you do? Hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a racing secretary. Oh, what does that mean? So the closest <laughs> to, to try and explain the closest I, I ever came to telling people what I did, I would say, well, you know, you ever played poker? I said, yeah, I ever played poker in Vegas and they have different tables. I said, well, my job is to make eight to 10 poker games a day with with you know the the with the good guys playing at one table and the medium guys at the middle medium table and the lower guys at the lower table so and that's what you're supposed to do with racing the, the idea being 
you know, nobody wants races, a bunch of races with one to five shots in it. So the idea is to try and create races that are, you know, equally matched uh, as much as possible. Um, when you, when you're talking about maiden races and you're talking about allowance races and stake races, obviously, um, you, you can't do that. Uh, you know, maidens are maidens and, and there's not much you can do. Allowance races or conditions, they're, they're just, you know, they're just there. You're either eligible or you're not. And obviously with stake races, the theory, you know, many moon ago was, well, just, we'll just weight them. And theoretically we'll put, you know, different weights on these horses and try to make them come to the wire together. And that's all fine and dandy. But not every horse, you know, is, is good enough to be a, an allowance type horse or a state type horse. And they're the all the other ones, which are the claiming races. And when you stop and think about it, uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, good way of, of, you know, making you run where you belong most of the time. Uh, you know, on, on a racetrack, it, most people know most of the horses. And when they see a horse that's worth 25,000 and he's in for 20 or 15, Hey, so there's, here comes the dynamic. Well, the guy's going to win the purse, but he's better horse than that. And so I'm going to buy him for 15 and it gives me a chance to run for 20. So it's a great equalizer. It, you know, theoretically keeps everything, everything right. And, uh, you know, over the years, <laughs> You know, years and years and years ago, when we had fifty thousand foals, um, you know, we just kind of ran them and didn't think that much about it. But now, as, as the full crop shrinks, we're starting to have to to come up with ideas to to um, use the limited horses we have and and still keep that theory there, where where like horses are running against each other. Um, you know, years ago at certain tracks. Now, now, as I say, this is very general because every track has a different situation. Uh, you know, like you take the Santa Anita's of the world, the A-Tracks of the world. I mean, they have different situations. They they have a smaller percentage of claiming horses than, let's say, a, a B-Track or a C-Track. So um, there's different ways of handling it. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm talking in generalities here. But for the most part, you know, years and years and years ago when we had all those horses, we just had 10 claimers, 12 claimers, 15 claimers, 20 claimers. And, you know, you ran your horse accordingly. Now, um, there's a lot of horses that maybe aren't good to run, maybe aren't, aren't, aren't good enough to run for 10,000, you know, against horses that have run four, five, six, seven, ten races in their career. So we've started to chop it up to non-winners of two races for 10,000 or non-winners of a race in six months for 10,000, where the, where the number's still there, but you're maybe running against horses that, uh, or you're not running against horses that, you know, made just one four in a row because they're not eligible to that condition. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get carried away with that. Sometimes, sometimes that, that those, those conditioned races penalize the, the horse that isn't the good horse for that condition, for that number, for that 10 claimer that won two in a row. Well, I can't run. He's not eligible for these non-winners of certain races. So we've lost, you know, the pie, the pie hasn't grown. We've just, we've just made more slices. And so I think we've, we've maybe gotten away and we've gotten a little bit too clever for our own good and having too many of these, these, uh, races. Um, you know, my theory was, uh, you know, the less races you have, the, the more you'll, you'll fill them up and the less option you give, uh, the connections, the better. I mean, the, my goal was to, I, 
take the thinking out of it. You don't want people to start thinking. You don't want to give them too many choices. You want to just, like I said before, you want them to run in places they don't even know why they're there. They're there because that's the only place for this horse to run. And so I, I think the claiming game is good, but I think I said, I think we've gotten a little bit carried away in some of the way we've tried to slice up the pie. Uh, right. with, with with the with the divisions that we have, I mean, we've got now we're a two for ten, now we're a three for ten, uh, now we're a six months for ten, now we're in a year for ten. Um, so, Rick, in California, what would have happened? Just uh, just give me a scenario of 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 what would happen if you were still at Santa Anita and you were sitting in your office. You always said you left your door open, people could come in all you, all you wanted. Yes. And uh, Jay Privman wrote uh, in in the form, and he said Santa Anita will no longer run condition claimers. You're either running for 10, for 25, or for 50. And they released that, and you sat in your office. What would happen? Well, just like what happened if you painted the wall blue without saying anybody, somebody's going to flip out over it. So, uh, you know what I mean? Oh, oh, my gosh. Why did we change that? We've never changed that before. Um, what would happen is there'd be a little bit of a, you know, why, you know, and hopefully if that was done, there was some thought put behind it, you know, it's sitting down with some of the, some of the groups and, and going over why this is a good idea or why it, why it's not, um, whether, whether getting to that extreme is the right thing, but there are limits and, um, you know, we uh, broke down years ago and, and, and wrote like a, we haven't started a non-winner to two for 12-5, okay? So the theory being that guy who breaks his maiden for 20, okay? Um, that's the bottom maiden here. The guy that breaks his maiden for 20, you know, he, we don't want him to have him run for the bottom 62-5, you know, right off the bat. They get a big gap there. So let's give him a non-winner to two for 12-5 and a non-winner to two for 25, okay? So, he can run against – he has a chance to win another race before he has to step up and face, you know, like the heavy hitters in the in the claiming ranks. So you want to – there's that fine line. You you, you want – and that's the idea of, of, of some of the conditions. Okay, I just won this race. Where can I go next and have a shot to win a race? Now, some guys – you know, some guys do that. And so that's your – that's – that's one of the many things that go into writing a condition book is where does this, after winning this race, where does this guy go? You got to give him an option. And by giving him less options, it's better because there's no thinking involved. Well, I have to go here. Um, Would that, could he never, he, could he not win an open 10? Probably not. But, but we, so you, so you take a guy that wins, breaks his main for twenty, and he goes into the main, into the non-winners at two for twenty-five. Okay, and let's say he's competitive there, so he hangs in that condition until he wins that, and then now now you know what? Now we take a shot. We'll go open. Where do we fit? Probably in the sixteen area, you know, something like that. That's normal. If he doesn't be competitive, if he's not competitive for the quarter, you drop him down for the non-winners at two for twelve-five. Okay, and then then if you and if you're competitive there, then you're fine, and and. You move on from there, but that guy that 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 goes from maiden twenty and you know in a slow time and, and you know there's no way he's going to be competitive for sixteen or twenty open. It gives that guy that owner a chance to say, hey, you know what, we got another condition to run in. Let's let's do it. So uh, I've got no problem with that. Um, I mean, like I said, the, the, you need to you need to keep what you have here. We're in an island out here. There's not a whole lot of reinforcements coming over the mountain to 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 take their place. So. 
It, Did you think that was a positive or a negative being on an island? Right. Cause I, I mean, I think it's like kind of go both ways, right? Like, yes, you can't shit, you get anyone to ship in, but also no one's leaving really. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, but like I said, coming from, coming from, uh, you know, back East in the East coast, when you're at Monmouth park and you open up that racing form, you're looking at horses from Delaware, Penn national, Laurel, Atlantic city, New York, uh, you know, Philadelphia park, you're calling anybody and everybody around there. And there's, there's just always somebody to call. Uh, you know, when you're out here on an Island, you, <laughs> you're not calling anybody out of town. You might make a few calls up to golden gate field. So, um, there is positives and negatives. You know, I obviously would rather have more horses in the area, uh, to, to, uh, to draw from. So you, you, you don't, so you, you, you have to work with what you have and, um, you know, slowly, but surely you, you do need some changes. And, and, you know, I, like I said, my door, I always, always said, my door's always open. In fact, I have two doors and they're both always open. And I, I, I always invited people to come in and discuss anything and, you know, races, whatever. I, I, I uh, encouraged trainers. I don't know from any, any of them to give me a list. They knew, guess what? Every other Monday is condition book Monday. And uh, you know, if you want to give me a list, that is fine. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't actually mean a list that. of the races that you want. Yes. What race? Okay. What, what, what are you ready now? Now everybody go, Oh, well you need to know the horses on your backside blah, 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 blah. Nobody knows every horse that's on that backside, please. You, you just know what you know. You know that there's groups of these kind of horses and groups of these kind of horses ready to go. You know what I mean? He goes, well, do you know every horse on the backside? No, I don't. You know, please. Um, you know, someone's barn, uh, you give a guy 20 stalls. I mean, from day to day, two are coming out, two are coming in, left it, boom, boom, boom. And one of the misconceptions also is, is if I give somebody 20, let's say we have, 1800 horses at Santa Anita. Well, guess what? They're not all ready to run tomorrow. They're in different stages of readiness. Now, you know, as a goal, as a, as a handing out stalls, which by the way, it for me is, is the, the worst. I mean, I don't want to say worst. The toughest part of the job uh, is handing out stalls. I mean, it's uh, you know, you're affecting people's lives and, and you know, it's, it's like, you know what it's like? It's like a credit check because you're turning in your stalls with the horses that you have. But along with that is a, is a history that is well known uh, one way or the other, but, and it's backed up by numbers and how many times you run, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, like I said, when you apply for, for a loan, you get a credit check and they go, Hmm, you're late here. You're late here. Uh, it's the same thing. They got to go through, well, let's see, you didn't run a whole lot this year and you didn't. So a lot of things go into that. And so it, it, the whole process starts there by allowing the right horses on the grounds. And so by going through those stall applications, you see what kind of horses that, uh, I mean, you're literally looking at every horse that applies. So we get, you know, it sticks in your head. We go, oh, we got a bunch of these, we got a bunch of these. So you go along, you, you, you group all that together. But um, you, you, the job is to create races for these guys uh, these horses. And, you know, if, if there's not a race for every single horse back there within two condition books, well then that that's my problem. But sometimes if, 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 if a trainer doesn't tell you, you know, Hey, I got a horse coming off a six month layoff. He's going to be ready in a couple of weeks. How about a race? 
I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, unless I, unless I notice them on the work tab and, and happen to ask them. So I always welcomed um, lists. And you know what? The same 10, 12 guys would give me lists every, every, uh, every two weeks. And we would discuss, you know, I would do, I would, what I would do is I would do my book and then I would pull out the lists later and go through it and go, hmm, that's, you know what? Wow, I don't have one of those. And to put in, or four guys asked for the same race. Well, let me throw that one in there. And if there was a different race type that, that, that uh, showed up or people wanted, I, you know, we'd talk about it and say, you know what, we'll try it. And like anything else, if, if, if you change something, uh, it was always, well, who's that for? Who's that for? And most of the time, it's like, it's for everybody. You know, we're just trying a new style race. I mean, everybody, you know, everyone's worried about what the other guy's doing. So um, we massage you yeah. know, a few different races as we go along. But, um, you know, then you have the state bred uh, group. You know, you're, you're, you're required to write so many state bred races. And, you know, so. No, I mean, I, I know you spent a lot of time there. And I'm sure you've got a lot of friends who are involved in, in, uh, in the cow bred situation. But do you feel like that? makes for a better betting product, you, you know, separating, having a maiden 40, you know, a state bred maiden 40, and then having a regular maiden 40. Do you, do, are you, I mean, are you a huge supporter of it or do you understand that it's necessary or where, where are you at on, on the state bred programs as a whole? Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was fluid. It's funny you mentioned those maiden claimers because um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the forties too, because my feeling was let's have the main specials, but let's, if you want to have, if you want to have state bred claimers and they got to be 25, because if they're worth more than 25, they should be running for main special or better yet, they should be running open claimers. I, I know I, I would just have the maiden special like to just have maiden specials for the state breads. And, and, you know, if you're a claimer, you just run against Hey, look, if, if you're running for maiden 20 or 30 or 40, it doesn't matter what, you know, if you're bred in, Kentucky or California, whatever, that's your, that's your number. That's where you belong. So, um, I think, I think once again, less is more. Now you bring up maiden races. One of my things that I've, I've you know, I, I've introduced or, or talked about for a long time is the base of everything. The most, the, the most important race out there is the maiden race, right? Um, I just got a horse. What do I need to do? I need to run in a maiden race and I need to break my maiden. So, uh, to me, it's just very logical that the more maiden races you can run, the better off you'll be because at the end of the year, you got more winners and it just helps everything along. So, you know, I, I, I've introduced these thoughts through the years and, you know, okay, if you have a million dollars, what's better? 10 races with a purse of a hundred thousand or 20 races with a purse of 50? To me, it's not even a, it's a no brainer. I'd rather run 20 races at 50 than, than, uh, than 10 at a hundred. Right. So we go to the horsemen's groups and, and, you know, I'm just at some time, if there's a group there that has a bunch of maiden claimers, a bunch of maiden specials, you know, wow, wow this is great. Let's make them a hundred. Man, I want to win. I want to win a hundred. Uh, you know, if it's not, then it's the other way, but think about this. If you, you just paid three, four, five hundred thousand dollars for the, your horse. You do you really care what the purse of, of, a, of a maiden race is? If it's 40, 50, 60, 70, does that really matter? No. Opportunity is much more important. So if we were to if you were to to limit the number of entries in a maiden special weight, 
and, and, and let's say let's say eight or nine. That's that's it. No more. Okay. We're gonna run more of these. We're gonna cap them at eight. The purse is gonna be less, but we're gonna run them instead of every two weeks, we're gonna run them every week. Put a schedule out for two months. Boom, 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 boom. Here's the maiden races. Run no more than eight and go. And I, I you could you would by the end of the year, if you break 20, 25 more maidens, guess what? That's 25 more allowance races than you that you had. And that's right. 25 more chances that that allowance race goes. And especially for the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds, guess what? I There's nothing worse than breaking your maiden as a two-year-old in April. What do you got? You got nothing. There's nowhere to run because uh, there's not enough horses out there to make an allowance race. So what do they do? They put up a stake. So, you, hey, let's run into stakes. Everybody runs into stakes. They're all about beating heads. There's nothing more important for a young horse to be able to go through their conditions or at least the first condition and move along, you know, gain some confidence and not get their head kicked in by some world beater out there. Hey, I saw a race at Churchill the other day. They had a three-year-old, not winners of two other than. I mean, my gosh, we, we that, that race is not even – my you, you, the, the computer won't even print that race out here. It's not <laughs> It just wasn't – and here's an important thing. I, I, you know, I've seen the 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 argument to this to this, and I have an argument back to that. The argument against this is that that this eight race maiden special weight is not a bettable race. Now, there's going to be certain circumstances where it's not. There's going to be a you know a Baffert's going to have one that is one to five, and the horse is going to gallop, and that's fine. But here's what will happen: is that by running into that one to five Baffert, some of those horses are going to realize how good they really are. They're going to drop in for 40. So those forties are going to be more competitive. They're going to be, they're going to be full field. And the other great part about it is, is like you mentioned, now you're not going to have that seven horse allowance field in the third at Santa Anita. You're going to have a nine race allowance race and the stakes races are going to be more competitive because you're going to have more horses that are moving up the ladder and getting in and getting out of their conditions. And then boom, boom, bang and bang. It's, so that that maiden race might not be that twelve horse maiden race where you can find value, but the other races are going to be better, and it's going to be better for the ecosystem. Correct. And see, you got to think long term. Now, okay, so maybe on on uh, you know Kentucky Derby Day, you know you can run, you can have full field, something like that. You know, everyone's always saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa what about this?" Everyone's afraid to think long term. You have to, and and when you do a condition book. You're always thinking long-term down the road. Something we did today, the reason why we have to gut this race out and make it is because I need that horse down here. And so that's a lot of times when you see the smaller fields. But you're 100% correct. If you can, you can go through these, 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 uh, these maiden races and break more of them, the payoff is not today. The payoff is down the road. And if, you know, if this were, if this was done more often in more places, all of a sudden you just have more winners out there. And when you have more winners, you have more happy owners and you know, that's what people want. I mean, here's a guy, would you rather, you got a horse, you run, you, you know, you, you, you run great. You beat nine horses and you finish fifth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, we have 14 horse fields. Isn't that great? Yeah. Beat nine horses. I got nothing. And so you're going to have more people involved that guy that's going to buy a horse knows that, hey, you know what? Let's get in that race. That's, that's you know, we got eight races. Yeah, that one of five shots going to win. But guess what? He's gone now. It's our turn next. You know, I can wheel back. 
And, and that's why I like putting the schedules out, put the distances out, get everybody ready to run. And, you know, you get 15 or 16, you split the darn thing. So um, if everybody knew that this was the way it was, I, I think it would create a little more excitement. Um, I mean, there's nothing better than, than breaking your maiden and, you know, saying, hey, we, we just want a maiden special and we're moving on. Exciting, yeah. And uh, but but and then and then there's nothing worse than seeing some of these stakes. Yeah, we got six and, you know, two of them are maidens. There's a one to five shot in there. and There's a couple other horses that, you know, don't belong. And, you know, you know, lessen I'm I'm one for lessening stakes. You know, same thing. Uh, I, I'm the other way. I'd rather have less stakes with more money as, you know, totally opposite of the maidens where, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's opportunity. We're in a stake. Make it worth something. You know, force those horses to run in those allowance races where they belong. And then when they do run in a stake, they're actually stake horses and they get paid at the end. Um, but uh, Rick, how did you how did you handle? Um, which is a question, you know, I think people always, uh, you know, wondering about is how did you handle and what is your 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 uh, you know, what is your your uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? your stance on this idea but like the, the trainer the, the the high profile trainer that has the horse that needs you to write a race for him i'm a believer that if the horse is a superstar and the trainer has a bunch of other superstars and he fills your 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 races just like the guy that buys 250 light bulbs versus the guy that buys one he gets preferential treatment and i'm okay with that to a certain extent how did you handle the pressure of of, of writing a race for a guy and how, how did you deal with all of that? Which I'm sure you had to deal with quite a bit. You know what? It's my job to, to, to know what races need to be written and what horses need to uh, need races for them. And you'd be amazed that, you know, if you're doing your job right, which I, I thought I did through the years that, you know, these guys, these quote high profile guys, you know what? They didn't need to come and ask me because they knew it was going to be there. You would be shocked at some of these guys. You think that get all oh, they get three minutes. They're the they're the ones that they don't ask for anything. They kind of know that these races are going to be there for them. Now I'm not saying like if a horse is off a layoff that you know uh, hey you know I need to get ready for the stake. Can we get a race for for this or that? Now that's a totally different thing. But um, you know it's my job to know certain races and have them go. And I always get accused, you know, let's bring you know, bring up Baffert. I mean, that, that's what always, oh, we write race for Baffert. I said, so let me get this straight. Baffert has maidens, he's got allowance horses, and he's got stake horses. So we just won't ride any of those races? He's He's got horses. And you'd be shocked. If we use a race with five and Baffert happens to have one in there, you don't think those other four people are, are thrilled to death that the race went for them too? Um, you don't make races for people, you make races for horses. And very, very, very rare does someone come in and say, I need, you know, this has to happen. And you know what? On those rare occasions, usually it's, you know, it's warranted. And, and you know what? We'll try it. We'll try like heck to do it. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a Bob Baffert or someone with 10 horses. If somebody comes in and says, look, I really need a race for this horse. And, uh, you know, it's a 10 clamor. Guess what? We're going out of our way to make it. Um there's one thing that, you know, you have to develop and that's, you know, trust and, and honesty and, and fairness. You got to be fair to everybody. I mean, uh, I, I, I think I earned that, uh, from the people, you know, they put it this way, you know, everybody doesn't like everybody on the racetrack. Um, 
I can actually count on maybe one hand of the people I just really, really don't like. And I, I can name two of them, but I don't even know who the other three are. In other words, I get along with just about everybody. And whether I like you or you think I like you or I don't like you, if you come in and ask for a race and it, and it fits, I'm going to make the, I'm going to try and make the race for you. So uh, it comes down to, 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 to knowing your job and doing your job. And if you're doing your job right, these guys don't have to come in and beg for a race or, or, or pressure you for a race. So like, I, I, I'm sure you'll remember this one. So like for, and I'm just curious how it all went down. Like when, so when Justify broke his maiden February 18th and then um, turned right back around and he, I mean, he essentially needed that allowance race to prep for the San Anita Derby and it was a five horse field. And I, I was there that day. It was a muddy racetrack. I mean, he ran amazing by the way. Um, was that just an easy situation? Did you, have, I mean, did okay, you just. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the story behind those two races. Well, the, the, the maiden race which was a seven furlong maiden race on, you know, some day. And, and uh, we were, we were, you know, halfway through the morning and the race had, I think had three horses or something and, and it was no big deal. And uh, Bob showed up in my office. And like I said, it's a rare occasion to see him stop by um, during training or, you know, at any that kind of oddball time. He's either there to get a check cashed or something. But I was in the other part of the office and I walked back in and he's sitting in one of the chairs and uh, it's like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, immediately, like once they, like I told you before, okay, I should, what does he want? I got to know. I got to know what he wants before he asks for it. And he goes, what about that main race? And I go, yeah, probably bring it back tomorrow. And he gets up and he shuts the door and he said, uh, that race has to go. I said, yeah, we'll make it, you know, down the road, whatever, no big deal. He goes, no, 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 I, I need this race to go. I got a horse in there that could win the Kentucky Derby. And uh, <laughs> you want to talk about the hair on your arm straightening up, right? Uh, I said, uh, are you kidding me? And uh, he said, no, and he's like, no, man. I mean, I mean, look, I've known Bob for a long time um, here and there. And, you know, we're, 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 you know, cordial we're i mean we're buddies you know what i mean or you know whatever and um i'd never heard anything like that before from anybody and and i'm i mean you know, i'm thinking of myself it's february i got a first time starter um really he said yeah i said uh okay so i walked across the hall to danny edson i shut the door and i, I said um we got to make the third race <laughs> um but Baffert just told me he's got a horse in there that can win the Derby. Um, you know, I mean, that's quite a line. You know what I mean? That's like, you know, going into a bar and say, you want to go ride in my Corvette or my Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> out there, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I fell for it. And uh, so um, <laughs> we made the race. And, and uh, Van Belvoir will be very happy to, to admit today that he's the, he was the fifth horse that uh, we called and uh, he said, put him in. And so we made the race with five. And, and uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> a very, very rare time where, you know, there might be someone that comes over and says, you know, my owner's going to be in town for only two days. Can please, please, please. And we'll do whatever we can <clears throat> to do that. <clears throat> and a, excuse me. A funny, funny little thing is Mark Ladd had a horse in that race that he really liked. And I forget the horse's name. And, uh, so lo and behold, you know, comes, comes, uh, race day. And, uh, Mark says he's over in the receiving barn there where the horses come and get ID and around there. And he's standing in there 
And here comes, you know, the horses are in there. And he said, Baffer walks in the door, you know, to, with the horse. And he's like, uh-oh. I mean, you know, he goes, I've never seen him in there before. Like, what's going on here? Like, I'm in trouble. You know, like, he really liked the horse until he saw Bob walk in the Stephen barn there just to make sure everything was okay with the horse. Okay, so anyway, Josh Vay goes on. He wins. See you later. Out the door. <clears throat> So we're getting to, we're talking February now. He's got zero points and uh, he's got to make the Kentucky Derby. And I remember going out to dinner with uh, Privman, Jay, Jay Privman. And we were talking about stuff and, and the justifying that came up and we kind of both agreed that, yeah, he's going to uh, Sunland. He's going to go to Sunland, easy spot, pick up the, pick up the uh, 50 points, whatever the Sunland is, and, you know, maybe either wait or go somewhere else. Because remember, he had uh, McKenzie at the time was his now horse, and he was all set to run in the, you know, the, the next race, the San Felipe and the and the San Ana Derby. And, and, you know, Justify was going to be his Arkansas horse or wherever else he was going to go. So it wasn't that big a deal. So he was going to Sunland. And... Um, so, you know, as we move along, um, get ready to write that condition book. And the day that sun, that Saturday was, was, uh, the day of the San Felipe. And, um, so a lot of times you write a book, you, you kind of look and see what, what you did last year and what worked and what didn't. So last year I had written an allowance race going a mile on that Sunday, either that Sunday or the Friday, but right around the San Felipe. So I said, you know, we'll just put the race up on Sunday and put a mile race in there and move on. And uh, ironically, you know who won the race that that other race on uh, the year before was uh, Battle of Midway. So it's pretty wild. I, I looked that I was all ready for all the angles people coming. I said, no, 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 I did this before. So I put the round trace up. So the day comes along to uh, to enter for the allowance race. Very la da 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 da. No big deal. And uh, Brad Pegram, who's Mike's Mike uh, Mike Smith's agent. You know, the allowance race, I think, had six or seven in it at, you know, whatever, no big deal. And he comes in, he goes, uh, okay, we're going to, we're, I'm going to put this, put the horse in now. And I said, what horse? He goes, justify. And I, and I kind of went, holy moly. I mean, I didn't even know. I, I thought the horse was going to Sunland. I, I had no idea that this horse was going in this race. They did a great job. I mean, that, I mean, you know, there's a lot. Loose lips sink ships, especially at the racetrack. I had no idea, so I was like, "Oh my god!" Did they not? They didn't tell anyone because they didn't. They wanted the race to go. Absolutely, right? and, and yeah. that, that never happens. And I was convinced that the horse was going elsewhere. Mackenzie, you know, was in the in the San Felipe. He's a Santa Anita horse. The other one's going to Sunland, and see you later. So literally, he says, like, "Oh great!" I said, "Do me a favor. Wait, wait five minutes." I went over to Zach, and I, you know, we're kind of at the end of the day. I said. Uh, call the final. I said, get that sixth race, get it together. We're going to draw it right now. So gave me the entry, put it in, boom. We went to the counter, you know, got the agency. I said, okay, we're drawing the sixth race. We'll draw the others in another hour. This race is being drawn right now. So we drew the race, got it out of the way. It was done. It was in the books before, you know, people found out and started taking horses out and all that stuff. So um, truth be told, it's funny because Lenny Schulman wrote a book on Justify and they told him the story. I said, you're the only one who got it right. I said, everybody thinks I made the race. I didn't even know. I, I, I didn't even know he was going in there. So, um, you know, I felt like an idiot, but, you know, what are you going to do? I didn't know. They pulled off a, a good one. 
And uh, now, now if McKenzie wasn't around, maybe I'd have been a little bit more suspicious that they were looking to hear. And then, you know, McKenzie, you know, got off the trail and, and you know what, after that happened, there was no way that Justify was not going to run in the San Diego Derby, no matter what had to happen for it to happen. It's it, just the way that it was, you know, things were, were flowing. There was no way he wasn't going to run in the San Diego Derby. It just, and of course he did, he wins and you know, the rest is history. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty, that was my last year. So that was a pretty kind of cool way to go out, um, you know, with that. So it was my job to have that race there. Um, you know, stories around oh he wrote the race for about no he didn't i had the race in there the year before and i had the race in the year before that um you know the idea being you get the winner of the san felipe and then the winner of this allowance race so you got two two horses going to the to the san anita derby and uh so um like i said that's my job to have those opportunities there for those horses and you know bob did not ask for the race and anybody else in the race didn't ask for the race because they knew it was going to be there there was going to be an opportunity somewhere for those horses to run so um, that's the major part of the job is to have the trust of the horsemen that I'm going to take care of them by having the races there that need to be there for them to move their horses along. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the major part of the job. And, um, you know, sometimes you take heat for, for doing things. And like I said, you need a tough skin, but, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the, the, the pressure. I enjoy the, you know, making those decisions and deciding, uh, you know, what, what goes and, uh, you know, dealing with all the people and, and the aftermath and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's was very, very good run. And, uh, you know, after taking a year, after taking off last year, I don't think I could ever go back and do it again because I don't think I could have the same intensity because it's, it's, you know, it, it, a couple of weeks ago it rained here and, it was at, you know, it was in the evening and it was raining and Gina, my wife goes, Hey, it's raining. I said, yeah. And she goes, and you're not freaking out. And I said, yeah, isn't that great? Because it's, it, oh my gosh, it's raining. Uh, who, how many races are on the turf tomorrow? Uh, what are we going to do? You know, I got to get there at five in the morning, see what the track is. Are we going to open? So, I mean, you're just constantly on and after taking, after taking uh, a year off, I, I mean, I, I don't think I could be back to that same high intensity level that it takes to be, you know, a racing secretary. Um, you know, I still want to be obviously involved in the game at some level, but, but I don't think I could give it 110% like I, like I, you know, did when I was at the job. So, uh, and I, I, I mentioned that to a couple other people. I was talking to, I was talking to Todd a couple of weeks ago about something. Um, and I said to him, I was, we were talking, I said, you know, he said, if you took a year off training, I said, you would you would be freaked out when you look back at all the things that you did when you were training. I mean, all the little things that you just constantly have to think about. Oh, this horse da da da. And I, you you would freak out, and I freak out at you know all the things that. Oh my gosh, you were I had to do this. You had to know that. You had to take care of this guy. You had to do this. You had to do that. And it was wonderful. It's great. But once you stop, I don't. Like I said, I don't think I could go back. That uh, you know, I want to do something different. But um, uh, it was, it's a, you know, it's, it's a one of a kind job and anybody that has that job, you know, has a, has, has a job to do and they got to do what they, they got to do to get that overnight out. And um, if you don't get it out, you, you're not racing. So uh, the, the pressure, if you can't take the pressure, then, then it's not good for you. But uh, a lot of good people out there that do those jobs and, 
I had a ball at it and uh, I'm glad I, I actually was glad to step away because I think it improved my health. I've, I've never slept better uh, in, in, you know, in the last year that I have now. So um, uh, we're, we'll try and get back into the game in, in other ways, but uh, it's been, uh, I've had, I've had a great run. I've, uh, you know, like I said, I've never worked a day in my life. So you, you, I'm very fortunate. Well, we're, we're lucky to have you. I mean, I think that, that, uh, you know, my favorite, uh, my favorite person in racing is always the person that knows and appreciates uh, as many of the different aspects as they can. Someone who understands the racing, the owner's perspective, the jockey's perspective, the jockey's agents, the trainers, then also understands the, the player, the fan. And, and that's why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I was happy to have you on and happy to, uh, you know, I was, it was honored when you asked us to come and speak at, at uh, the University of Arizona, that was awesome, and just to, to to hang out with you. My favorite my favorite part of that whole thing was <laughs> was our Uber driver that tried to tell you that that uh, <laughs> University of Arizona's championships they had won more championships than than, than they had actually won because obviously you you knew how many they won yeah. basketball. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you're probably hired by the Chamber of Commerce, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. This is like, look, it's been great, right? But it's, it's it's this is one of our this is one of the longest episodes we've done. I can't let you go. People will be mad at me if I don't if I don't ask you to to tell me what a flaming gorilla is. Oh, geez, a flaming gorilla. You know what? It's a great drink. It's the end of the. It's it's not a drink to start the evening. It's a drink to end the evening because by at that point you're looking to drink anything, and so it you, you take a shot glass. It's uh, anisette, which is uh, like a licorice liqueur it is, anisette. And you top it off with a little 151 Bacardi. And not too much. It's about 95% anisette and maybe 5% uh, 151. All right. And then you line them up and then you light it, okay, on fire. And it does a nice flame. But the key is you need to blow it out entirely before you take the shot. So you blow it out and then you take a nice warm shot and it's great. Um, I've seen, I've seen drinks get spilled uh, and bars on fire. I've seen beards on fire. I've seen dresses on fire. Um, so there's a little thrill to it, but at the end of the night and if someone, someone goes, let's do some flaming gorillas. Yeah, let's do it. So you line it up, and there's nothing like a couple of flaming gorillas to end the evening. But make sure that you uh, that you blow out the flame. Um, so we we uh, we would uh, at, at the end of the night, sometimes at the Meadowlands, we'd go to the old uh, railroad cafe, and uh, they would uh, shut the doors for us, and we would do flaming gorillas. But uh, whew, that's that 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 gives me the shakes just thinking about that. I haven't done one of those in a while. You know what? I did want to do one pretty soon though. Uh, flaming gorilla, gotta gotta have it. And uh, so anyway, Some, someone has to to name a horse flaming gorilla. You know for, what? Uh, I need to get that for the, done. For the boys of '89. I need to get that done. You know, you're right. I've named. You know what? I've named a lot of races uh, through the years. That's been a fun part. So it's one of, my, one of the things I've left. But you know what? Gosh, I wonder how I could get that. I was usually pretty subtle when I named races, but somebody needs to name a horse the flame, uh, flaming gorilla without a doubt. So that'd be great. I'll get that. That'd done. be great. Hammer, I, I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. I uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I know that uh, 
Um, you got a lot going on, but I also know that you love talking racing and, and, and I'm, I'm really happy that the listeners get to hear some of your perspective as it comes to your job and your career. And then also just the stories of, of your time in racing. Um, and so I wanted to thank you for taking the time. Well, thanks for asking me, JK. When you got me that text the other day, it was funny. I said two hours and my wife goes, well, what, what, what's he going to say? Cause I, I, you know, I just, one thing we'd like to talk about either music, travel or racing. And, and uh, you know, it's just thrilled. And uh, you know, right back at you, uh, you know, you, you're one of the, you know, young guns up and coming and we just, uh, it's thrilled that you're able, you, you and what you and Pete have done with, uh, with your shows and your in the money podcast and, you know, teaching people. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to teach. And, and boy, I, have never stopped learning in this game. I, I just, uh, you never know it all. And, uh, and it's great for you guys to get out there and, and do it. And it's, I, I like talking to you guys and running things by you guys and getting your, your perspective. So thank you for doing what you do. And it's a pleasure. And, you know, I'm always around. Hammer time. Boy, I can, uh, I can only imagine him on that bus back in the day carrying on his glasses. He's always got his sunglasses with the, uh, those, that little thing on the back that, you know, you wear when you go to the lake, that thing that keeps them from sinking. He's always got that. I could see him. He probably had that back, back in 89 on his glasses. I bet he was way too cool for school, getting into all kinds of trouble. Um, like I said at the beginning, long episode, very informative stuff there. Like I said, the condition book, I think is very important to understanding this game. And 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 I, I mean what I said. I, I feel like we have to continue to evaluate things in our game. And I think the claiming game is something we have to understand better. I think it, it creates a lot of con- uh, confusion and a lot of conflict in the game. And I think it's something that we should take a look at, a deeper look at. Uh, find a way to to kind of reduce the clutter when it comes to these conditions. Obviously, Hammer made great points about why it's the way it is. You got to give horses a place to go. But we got to find a way to try to, to 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 make it make more sense for new fans, but also make it make sense for the current owners and trainers and riders and betters. Obviously, you have to to keep all of those people in mind. And I understand that when an owner buys a horse and breaks its maiden, it needs somewhere to go, and that's important, but I feel like there's probably a system that we could come up with. that could be better long show. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, make sure you check out our other shows, Redboard board uh, rewind with, with Spencer, whose last name I refuse to say, cause I, I just can't figure it out. Um, Naomi's uh, talk racing to me, the Matt Bernier show PTF and I, um, with, uh, with our show and, and this, we have, we're doing, we're doing uh, he doesn't know this yet, but we're doing voicemails this week. And I don't know how quickly you're going to get to this, but today I'm recording a show with him. We're doing voicemails. I left Pete a voicemail. So <laughs> it's really funny. I think, I think it's funny. I don't know. I was in the car when I did it. I haven't listened back to it, obviously, but I'm hoping it's going to be funny, but maybe it's not, maybe it sucks. Anyways, um, fun racing. Uh, I'll be on, uh, I'll be on, uh, Fox on Thursday. Uh, Friday. I won't Saturday and Sunday. I will. And, uh, let's keep rolling. Hope you guys keep winning. And I'll check you out next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you'll be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk so much.